The Jason Cabinets Experience is sponsored by Cabinets HR. Cabinets HR delivers HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the United States with our platform that automates HR products and services while giving you access to a dedicated HR business partner for more complicated HR challenges. Small business loses an estimated $10,000 per employee per year because of unreliable HR. Small business owners are spending an average of 25% of the time on HR, time that would be better spent taking care of their people, their customers, and building their business. Cavernous HR saves small business owners time and money on, on their HR. Sign up at www.cavernousHR.com or email me at jasoncavernous at cavernousHR.com to learn more. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. Our guest today is Byron Robinson. Byron, you ready to be great today? I'm ready. Byron is a renowned business magnate and major boutique player in the financial service industry, the diverse background of finance, sports, and real estate. Before entering the business world, Byron was a world-class athlete competing in the Olympic Games in the 400 meter hurdles. Today, Byron is a CEO of a holding company that houses both the investment bank Robinson Company Banking and the asset management firm Robinson Asset Management. His other interests include physical fitness, chess, and the arts. He has received numerous awards and honors has been featured in prominent media outlets for success in business and his commitment to excellence. Byron, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. The honor is all mine. And um, that made me sound a lot better than I think I actually am. <laughs> but no, it's, it's an honor, though. So, Byron, let's talk about chess first. Yeah. What age were you when you first started playing chess? I used to play... Um, I'm not uh, Magnus by any stretch, but... Um, my earliest memory playing chess was maybe six years old. Um, my dad would be off at work. My mom would be home with, with me and my brothers. And um, that's back when the internet was, uh, what do you call it? It makes all those dial tones. The AOL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, would, I would play uh, really any game that I can play on a computer, uh, which I, that's how I learned how to play computer games, by the way. And um, chess was one of them. I think I would like Pogo or like chess123.com around that age. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just moving pieces around that. And I'll play, I'll play chess and checkers. And um, I just played on and off since then my entire life. And so how, how did you stay so interested in chess? Like what made you keep playing over and over again versus like most kids play chess for a little bit and they, they quit? Um, I like anything that's mentally stimulating. And chess is a, is, a, is a game that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And there's so many nuances and, and variations that uh, it's like the deeper you get into it, it's uh, it's like self-fulfilling. Uh, if you have a mind that's like interested in solving puzzles and putting things together, uh, you once you get a bite into chess, I, I don't think you ever let it go because it's just... It's a deep rabbit hole and it never ends. How often do you play now? Every day. Every day? Yeah. Like you play the chess game, you actually play people on like... I play people. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I do chess tournaments every Monday. 
um, I rotate between, or I try to rotate depending on the work schedule, um, whether it's going to be online or uh, in person in Seattle. Okay. So just pretty big chess community here in Seattle, I'm guessing? Uh, like sort of, kind of? I don't know what to compare it to because yeah. I didn't do this in Texas or Virginia where I previously lived. Um, it's robust though. I mean, there's a serious chess community yeah. here for sure. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you say your skill level is from like a skill of one to 10? What, what is, what's in this? Is it like the like master's level or different levels to it? I'm not a title player. Okay. Um, you, you know, I do think though, if I never did sports and or specifically if I never ran track mm-hmm. um, and I just played chess, I think, I think I would be, I am, I think I would max out there, but I'm not a title player. I'm not a serious player. In fact, if any random, I was, so I, I went skiing um, two weeks back and then one of the guys that was with us um, was talking chess. And I, I asked him a few questions to see if he actually played. Mm-hmm. He didn't really play. Well, yeah. he, you know, casually. Yeah. And um, I, I told him I played sometimes and he instantly wanted to play right there, mm-hmm. like right then and there. Yeah. And I was, this is why I don't, I don't even like talking about it with people. But um, when we played, I beat him. Um, so I'm, I'm competitive, but I'm not a title player by any okay. stretch. I, I, I mean, I, I do know a few lines, though. Yeah. You ever watched a TV show? I think it's called The Gambit. It was a show. Queen's Gambit? Yeah. Never that, seen it. Yeah. I know what it's about, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it's a real good show. My best part my best part on there was like, she went to some high school, all, all, all boys high school, which played chess. Yeah. And the, and all these 16 players thought they were going to play six different people. Like, who were playing? You were playing that girl, like, and, she, and she'd be all 16 of them. Like, she'll go table to table, just like smoke them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that. <laughs> or maybe if they were really bad, I'd be able to do that, but not really. I'm, I'm I'm competitive. I'm not yeah. title by any stretch. Yeah. So next, let's move to the arts. Yeah. Any certain arts you're like most interested in, or classical European art? Okay, like yeah. the sculptures, the painting, or just everything. Um, I'll entertain uh, sculptures, but preferably paint. Okay. Um, I just love it. I you know, it, I find it to be kind of uncommon because the more I talk to people about. Um, especially the art museums in Seattle. Haven't found one I like, by the way. Yeah. I don't do any contemporary, any of the stuff. I think <laughs> to me, it's just the contemporary art is just lines on a, a canvas. Mm-hmm. I can't get with that. And I also don't like the um, the pieces where it's like a banana, a can, <laughs> a bottle of water. You know, I, I don't like statement pieces. Okay. I, I, I read a book on... Um, uh, What's his name? The famous artist out of Italy, the most famous one, did the Mona Lisa. Oh man, uh, Da Vinci. Yeah, Leonardo Da Vinci. I read a book on him, and um, that really opened my eyes to how talented like these 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 artists are and were. Um, what they were were functional geniuses across multiple topics, and they just um, concentrated it and displayed it in the form of art on a canvas. And after reading that book, it really made me get a, a greater appreciation for it. Uh, and I read that, I think, in uh, 2015, somewhere around there. And ever since then, I've just been all in on it. So you, you spent some time in Europe. Were you able to do any, any of the art museums in Europe? Nah. No. Well, um, every time I've been in Europe, it was for a track. Um, and no, when you, any, any track athlete would tell you, when, you, when you're traveling for a track meet, you don't have time really to have fun. It's yeah. there for work. You, you got to go back. There's so many great museums, like the Rice Museum in you know, Amsterdam. Have you been? Yeah. Oh, wow. I've been there. I, I pretty much all the museums in Europe I've been to, you know. W- which one is your favorite? The, man, I want to say the Rice Museum. Rice Museum. Yeah, Rice is the one where um, 
It's in Amsterdam. I can't remember the guy. This, he had this penny called the Night Watch. That's real famous. I like that one. Okay. The, ones, the ones in Florence are really good too, you know. I, I would imagine. Florence, yeah, that's for really sure. good. Of course, the Louvre's great, but Louvre's just so huge, right? There's no way to do it in one day. Like, you first got, even nothing you can even live there in, in, in Paris, you can see everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, once I um, become of more means, I definitely want to be a full time collector. Uh, and I know that's very stereotypical for bankers to to start collecting art after a while. But uh, listen, one thing that I can tell you as I get older now is that the things that I used to judge as a child about what older older people would do, uh, I'm starting to understand why older people do it now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So next question. So you're talking about, you know, Leader de Vinci, all these people from the older days who are like geniuses. Do you think humans are getting like smarter or better evolved or we're, or, or we pronounce the same humans who were like thousands of years ago? Um, uh, this isn't backed by any data, but um, I, I think the human intelligence has been stagnant. I mean, there's been geniuses throughout the entire history of time. Only thing that changed is the um, resources available, the technology. To or I mean, sometimes you can be a genius, but just not have the right fit. You not you could be right person, wrong place. I actually think that's that's the majority of the case. Most most geniuses, most athletes, most anything fall into that category. Like you have a certain innate. Uh, ability, but you just, you're just not in the right environment to bring it out. Um, so uh, to answer your question more specifically, though, I I, I think human intelligence has been stagnant um, really ever, ever since Christ, to be honest. Yeah, I definitely believe like not saying Elon Musk is a genius or Demis is a genius. That's not my place to say, but I definitely think if they traded places, they would still be as successful as they were in their own generation. As as successful? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. You think Elon Musk will be as successful today as then potentially like 200 years ago? I, I think so. Interesting. But just in a different way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like obviously, he wouldn't be building no Tesla's going to space. Yeah. But. It's plausible. He'll be, he'll be doing whatever's outside, right out, because that's what he's doing now. Whatever's right outside, you know, humanly possible, he'll be pushing that. It just be relative to his time period. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think he would be like, you know, you would be pushing to get to the new world instead of 1642, maybe you're 1600 or something, right? Yeah. Something like that. That's scary. That's an interesting um, thought experiment. What would Elon Musk be doing 200 years mm -hmm. ago? I don't know. So next question. And I saw this on, a, a, I think, Cora one time. Somebody asked this question. You know, there's like people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, you know, people rich, famous, wealth, means whatever, and they're doing pretty well. The thought experiment was like, everyone goes to zero and everyone gets $25,000. Like, like Elon Musk doesn't have a network, you know, none of that stuff, he gets $25,000. Okay. And the question was, will the successful people be, still be successful? Absolutely. That's, a, that's, that's Everyone has to enter the same way. Yeah. And why do you think that? I, I would press a party that I don't think it, I know it. Um, because success isn't, success isn't a chance game. It's not, it's not winning the lottery. It's is uh as cause and effect is I do X and then I get Y out. You know, um that's a common uh misconception, uh, if I may, from not successful people. Um you know it wouldn't there's a certain type, there's a certain there are certain type of people. It wouldn't matter what you threw at them. Divorce, uh loss of a family member, uh car accident. You fill in the blank, and they just can't be stopped. Um, that's the that's the, the successful people. It is the 
unsuccessful people who don't know, who don't realize that, that it's more within than exterior, that um, they point for reasons to why something didn't work out. And it's the fact that they're even focusing on that to begin with is the reason why they're in the situation that they are right now. Um, but no, nah, listen, I would die on that hill. If someone put a gun in my head and told me to change my mind on that, I'm just gone. I, 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 I genuinely do believe that. I know that to be true. I know it. And uh, most of my peers, all such people that I know personally, everything that I read about, um, it, it wouldn't matter what you threw at them. They're going to be successful. Um, it, I mean, to, to, to circle back to the time period um, that we talked about with, with Elon specifically, um, that's the reason why he was still, you know, because he, 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 is, um, he has a successful, like, tick. He has the knack for it. Um, it wouldn't matter. Why do you think some people have this drive and others don't? Do you think it's like upbringing, like is it internal something they have or what do you yeah, think that is? It's, it's the classic nature nurture conversation. Um, I guess ultimately when you bring it to his uh, logical conclusion is a mixture to varying degrees. Uh, I think that again, if you if you're mentally in the right place, it wouldn't matter where you are. You're gonna you're gonna make something happen, no matter what. But you can't ignore the fact that, uh, especially like with younger children, that you do need the environment to bring it out a lot. So you, you definitely do, because um, I, I can tell you personally, like the environment that I was in was was geared towards sports coming up when I was when I was a child. But um, if I was in um, more uh, if I was in environments that would bring out more thinking, uh, I mean, I would have, <laughs> I'll be so far ahead in business right now than I am right now. I can tell you that. So you have people like Kobe Bryant, right? Do you think he was too extreme? Can you be too extreme in being successful? Like, do you have to push drive and like the cost of like not paying, spending time with your kids, your family, or this, is that just the cost you have to pay? I think everybody's different, man. Um, I mean, listen, uh, you're, you're talking to someone who lives. I mean, I live my entire life on the extreme, man. I, I, <laughs> I max everything out. I, I, I work nonstop. I work all the time. Um, that's just what I do. So I'm very biased. Um, listen, this is what I believe, especially as a dad. I'm not a dad yet, but I think about it every day. I think um, if I had to choose between the extremes of being the always at home. Cheeto eating, always on the couch, you know, football, you know, you, you know, that that guy, the American dad, versus being like a Kobe of the world or whoever. Name your extremely su- mm-hmm. successful person that's just not available a lot. Uh, me personally, I'm always gonna go for the latter. Um, and I, I think that's again, we're talking about the extremes, but I think that's a better example of a dad because at least your kids, your family, your community, the world knows that you're contributing to the world. And if you have little ones that look up and see you doing that, what's more inspiring? Is it more important that your kids see that you're actively doing, being the things that is you know productive to the world or 100% always available and at home? I, 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 like, I like living on that other extreme. So I'm pretty confident I know how you answer the question, but I answer, ask anyway, right? Yeah, so you have two options. One option is like live like 80 years old, have an average life, you know, sleep eight hours a day, you know, and we like a couple generations down, no one's gonna know about you. Or you live to 50, successful in everything, and, and, and plus you don't have to sleep, right? You, you're never tired, right? You can be up 24 hours a day doing stuff, right? Yeah. And then you, you, and you do something to make, you either cure cancer or 
something how you improve humanity, you know, 20,000 yeah. fold, but you die at 50. Which one would you pick? Uh, I'm, I'm down at 50. Yeah. You know, I mean, you no, know it's crazy. I'm making this number up, but I, I probably like 95% of people ask that question to say they want to be 80. Why is that? They just. That's so depressing. Yeah. One thing that like, they can't the fact that have to, I, I said, it's not you don't you don't sleep. It's like you're never tired. So you don't need to sleep. Right. Mm. They can't get over that fact. Right. And then it's like, no, well, that's 30 years that I'm not alive. Right. But you've lived so many years in those 50. Right. Like, yeah. So many, it is depressing. Like, so many people like say, no, I lived to 80. I have a question. So is, when they say that, are these conversations that you have on the podcast or just out and about? Everywhere. Just, yeah. This is my pop my head. That's any podcast, like different people, you know. Respectfully, are these uh, like just the normal, the normal human being? Like yeah. you do the normal thing? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. yeah you eat yeah. the, of course. Yeah. You know? um, I mean, you, you talk to any high performer, mm-hmm. I think they're taking the, the 50 year old, yeah. you know, because I mean, who do we remember more? Um, you know, uh, Chris down the street or Alexander the Great? Yeah. And he died at 32. Yeah. You know, centuries ago, probably more than centuries ago. Yeah. Yeah. And people talk about him even to this day. Yeah. Um, there's there's something to be said about leaving your mark on the world mm-hmm. and getting more done per year that you're alive versus yeah. living for a lot of years. Yeah, um, I agree. But what do I know? I'm, I'm no, <laughs> I'm not a philosopher. I, I don't know. Yeah. So go back to art. Um, what, so you've been to art museums here in Seattle. Not too impressed. Have you been to any other art museums in the United States? Yeah, um, all over Texas. Um, some in New York, um, Philly. Uh, and then one in Florida. I know the names of none of these, by the way. Yeah. You have a favorite artist? No, I have a favorite piece though. Wait, which one it's, is that? It's of um, Lord Lord Byron, King of Franks, from um, some I think somewhere in the 1600s. It's of him being knighted mm-hmm. um, in royalty um, somewhere in Europe. But it's very angelic. He's on his knees mm-hmm. in the. Um, I think I believe the queen uh, has a sword out on his shoulder. I don't know what it is, man. I, something about that just appeals to me. I I, I love that kind of stuff. The, the whole thing is beautiful. The whole thing is beautiful. And so you plan? You say you're planning events like when you get the more means and more, more success, like actually collecting art pieces. One hundred percent. Don't don't like I, I hate to use the term rich people. Don't use rich people to use that as like a way to build up assets. Yeah, art is an asset class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a um, speculative one, but uh, I mean. Any financial advisor would tell you that it, it does tend to go up over time, but um, I wouldn't look at it for asset class. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, I just like it. Like it, yeah. I, I just, you know, I just, it's like like just like people like shoes, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna do the car thing too. But you know, I, art is just one of those things for me. I just love it. I'll be honest. That's one thing I never understood. Like why people collect like thousands of shoes. I just that's just one thing I just don't get. Yeah, like, not not my thing either. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I understand why a flipper would do it. Yeah, because yeah, you can make money from it, but. Yeah, I do find it to be one of the dumber things to spend money. Yeah, on. I know those are like a sixteen year old, probably not sixteen years old, but it's like sixteen year old kid in Florida. He was making like hundreds of thousands of years of flipping shoes, like pro athletes and stuff. And some mm-hmm. kind of they knew him. Were like, yeah, it was insane. I wonder if he's still in business with the uh, with the market. Uh, That's a good point. Being the way it is right now, um, but no, I'm I'm. I want to do the art thing so mm-hmm. bad that I have it in my vision board. Yeah. Oh wow, nice. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. are you going to collect like known pieces or are you going like, to invest in like, you know, up and coming artists, so to speak? Whatever. If, if that up and coming artist did uh, classical European mm-hmm. art, I'll probably get it. As mm-hmm. long as it's beautiful, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you art, your interest in art start? It's, 
2015, 2016, somewhere around, after I read the book. Well, actually, no, it was before that, because something prompted me to read that book. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I've always had like a um, propensity to like mature things, mature themes, uh, stuff with uh, substance and, um, and nuance. I've always been that way. Like even when I was really young, I always like talking to older people. Um, I don't know. It art is a funny one, man. Like, how do you really explain that? It, yeah, like you know, you when, just, you, when you think it's great, I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is crap, and vice versa, right? You know, like yeah. like some people think Andy Warhol's candle soup is like the best thing ever. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I don't. I don't think anyone genuinely believes that. Yeah, I, I just don't believe that. It, like, I, I I know it's subjective, but. I just don't believe it. So here's a story for you. You probably don't know. So you know how they had the Tacoma Dome down in Tacoma? Yeah. Supposedly so back in like, I get the dates wrong, like in 1974, 75, maybe early 80s, they would like actually make it look better. Like they want like, you know, paint it, right? Mm -hmm. And so they had actually commissioned Andy Warhol. He's going to paint sunflowers on it, right? And and they at the last minute, they voted no because they're like, why should we pay Andy Warhol $250,000 for the sunflowers? We have all these poor people, right? Yeah. But now, I don't question, not saying how it would look good or bad or whatever, but now, decades later, you still have like probably more poor people in Tacoma. You have this like eyesore in Tacoma that's a big Tacoma Dome, right? Yeah, yeah, Tacoma. Um, I will say this about Tacoma. There's a lot of opportunity in Tacoma. Yes, it is. Um, Tacoma is somewhere where, uh, uh, at least for my firm, that we're putting a lot of focus in. And so yes, there there's a lot to be said about Tacoma, but the one thing I like about Tacoma versus Seattle is that, uh, well, I guess you say same, but more so in Tacoma is that there's almost nothing but upside there. Yeah, I think Tacoma has a problem of they're, they're always trying to be like a better Seattle, right? You or, think so? I think so. Hmm. I, I think what, they what do you need, mean? It's like, you know, all the time, like, you know, we, we need to have a tech startup scene in Tacoma, like Seattle, you know? We have oh, I didn't us, know that. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Like, be Tacoma, it's right? close enough. It yeah, should just be, be Seattle. Be Tacoma, be your, like, you know, embrace what you are, right? Your greediness and your, all that kind of stuff. You hit it right on the head, the greediness. Um, it should just lean into it, in my opinion. Yeah. But, listen, I'm I'm just a cultural critic. I, you know, I'm, I'm a businessman. I, yeah. I don't know. And have you heard this one? Like, I said it before, like, you know, it, like, in, if you, in Seattle, they think everything south of the airport is in Mexico. <laughs> so like if you're ever in Tacoma, like no one from Seattle will ever come, right? But like once the blue moon came, but like everyone to Tacoma goes to events to Seattle, right? People in Seattle, that's South the airport. Yeah. Like, I need a passport, you know. Of course, yeah. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that, though. Yeah, because Tacoma does seem like the boondocks when you're like close to Seattle. Yeah, that's so interesting. They even dress different there. Oh yeah, but I like Tacoma. I, I just don't live there. Yeah, <laughs> don't it's see, a, it's don't a see myself living there either. It's, it's, it's definitely different animals there. One of our bigger clients uh, based out of Tacoma, they're doing a lot of good work there. Um, they definitely, uh, it, it, and they, they're improving Tacoma one block at a time. It, it's, which is why I say like, I know personally, like yeah. Tacoma has, has nothing but upside. It's interesting to see how that turn, how Tacoma, how Tacoma and Renton turns out in the next 20 years. Yeah. Also, we to see how Fife continues to build out because like Fife has all these like um, what's we call the um, warehouses and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you recently moved here from Texas, right? Yes. How long have you been up here? A year and uh, I think three or four months now. And what made you move up here? Um, to be honest with you, because my parents moved out here. Um, I'm really close with my parents, and after they moved, made the move from Virginia to to Seattle, once I got done running track, 
um, I wanted to live closer with my parents. You good? Yeah, I'm good. So next, um, I forgot about you. You told me before your parents moved up here. And why did they move up here? To be honest with you, no reason. No reason? They um, just wanted a fresh start. And they were looking like, where to move to? Mm-hmm. Seattle sounds nice. Okay, moving to Seattle. It was, it was that simple. Yeah. No relatives up here, never been here before? No, 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 we do. Um, so we had, we had two aunts, uh, two aunts and uncles and um, my younger cousin, my younger cousin, Bunny, who, with whom I, um, I love her so much. I think the world of her. But, um, but no, we, we have some family out here, though. Hey, let, me, let me fix this yeah, real fast. Fix that. Is there anything I can do to help? No. I gotta get a new table. Do your thing. That's for you better now. Let's do it. And so, you've been up for about about less than a year. What yes. kind of opportunities you see in Seattle? Seattle's so interesting. Um, what kind of opportunities? I think business is easy in Seattle, in, in my opinion. Do you? Yeah. Because you always hear about the Seattle freeze, the Seattle chill. You'll call, you know, people like don't really that's a real talk thing. to you. No, that's definitely a real thing. Um, but as far as, uh, I mean, I work in investment banking. As far as like uh, getting access to the clientele, uh, sources of capital, and uh, kind of just getting deals done, it, um, I really like Seattle. I also will say this too, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and uh, the Christian community here is very strong. It's very, very strong. And uh, in, in those respects, it, it I think I think a lot of Seattle in that respect. Now that's not to ignore though the craziness. There is crazy stuff in Seattle. Now I, I found the statement you saying like, that's a strong Christian community here kind of like interesting because like I saw a stat a while ago where it's like there's more n- non-Christian beliefs in Seattle than anywhere in the United States. I think that's plausible, but um, it's that reason to why the, the Christian. Now, I mean, listen, I, I I never made the case that it was a big Christian community. Mm-hmm. If there okay. is, I'm not aware of it. Um, and from what I've seen. Uh, again, this isn't data driven, but from what I've seen, um, it is a smaller community, but it's more close knit. It's very tight. Or maybe I wasn't like not Chris, but there's more atheists here or agnostic people yeah. versus anything else. Yeah. Um, and some people say because there's so many liberals here, that kind of stuff. And of course, I have no idea. Uh, it, it may correlate. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's causal. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. But um, no, nah, I mean, listen, if I take a guess, I would assume that there's more atheists than, than uh, people of faith here. But uh, for the people who are Christian here, in, in my experience, from what I've seen, very tight-knit, very uh, very giving, they look out for one another. It's um, just really, uh, re- re- really strong, and I'm thankful to have met them, to be honest. So being a Christian, how does that help drive your values to be like a, a great businessman? How's those tying to each other? Um, it, they tie to each other so much that... Um, it's hard to even speak about it because it's just the, it's the foundation for everything that you know. I, as as a, as a Christian, I would assume that the ultimate goal 
um, outside of pleasing God is is to is to give to the world, give to the world by way of whatever the mission of if you if you own your business, whatever um, the mission of your business is, uh, it's one of the same. You, I mean, you can't do one without the other. It's uh, you know, we talk about this a lot too um, in, in in the communities, but um, no, it's, it's everything. It's, it's foundational. It's like breathing. It's 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 everything. Um, I'm I'm not sure if that answered it though. It, it does. It does. Okay. Um. So next, no, this last weekend they said like a we had two banks that failed, right? Of course, everyone talks, that we know of. That we know of. That's a great point. Of course, being a tech community, everyone talks about Silicon Valley Bank, but two banks actually failed. And of course, um, can you talk about some why that happened or your what your take on that is? Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the most literal sense, it was a classic bank run. Um, I mean, banks by definition, um, they have a um, uh, a duration mismatch between their assets and liabilities. They take in short-term deposits that's supposed to be readily liquid if you wanted to take it out at any time. They take it, uh, keep percentage on hand, and uh, either lend or invest the rest of it out. Um, whenever they are lending, depending on what kind of bank, this is a, a tech uh, focus bank, so it's more business. Um, so they'll lend out longer than the deposits are supposed to be ready. Um, and there's a mismatch there between the times, between when you loan the money out and when the when you have to have money on hand to be able to give it to people if they want to deposit them or withdraw their money. Um, and then we'll make this situation more interesting though for um, SVB is the fact that they invested a lot of their money uh, depositors' money into long duration uh, treasuries, so the thirty year bond. And that's where the interest rates came in and stuff, right? Yeah, so they 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 bought them they they bought them back when interest rates were really low. The majority of their bonds, um, I, I think the average interest rate was around one point five percent, which is um, I mean it's so low it's not even funny. And um, there's an inverse relationship between the interest rate on a, on a on a bond slash treasury and the price of the. Of, of that of that bond. So whenever interest rates go up, the price of the bond go down and vice versa. Um, as you know, interest rates are not 1.5 as, as I talk to you right now. Um, so the the value of the bonds went down, uh, which means they have less money overall, which is fine. I mean, they're, they're technically underwater, but that's still fine as long as um, all your depositors want their money back. But when they had to uh, raise more money to, to, to raise more, more, more capital, uh, for the bank, um, their biggest, some of their biggest um, uh, people that they bank, you know, took that as a red flag and initiated just a classic bank run. And what's interesting about uh, SVB is that they have like parent VC firms and all their subsidiaries. So if one VC firm, a, a good one, says we're pulling our money, that's that's the parent firm and all the subsidiaries, and now you you magnify this, you know, at a bigger scale. Let's say thirty VC firms say this. That bank is going out of business because it's going to cause a bank run, and they don't have the money. By the way, this could happen to any bank, literally any bank. It, banking is all confidence. It's all, it's all confidence. Um, but what made this even more interesting outside of the uh, SVB clientele? pulling all their money at once was the fact that for these same bonds that they at the bank had purchased at 1.5 there were no hedges on it mm -hmm. um now there are reasons 
So while they did not get flagged for doing that, well, to get all the way into the weeds. I know banking is, is a sexy topic. You know, everyone loves talking about it. But um, it's, it's very unusual for a bank to buy a lot of bonds. Normally what they would do is hedge. You, they would hedge their positions in some kind of way, whether it's through uh, either shorting the same bonds that they bought or uh, some kind of derivative or something. There were no hedges there. So when the price of the bond went down, they they were just losing money, like just hand and fist. That was very unusual. And then, um, but it's even though that's unusual, it's more unusual for VC firms to pull all their money at once, especially for a bank that did so much to help them. Yeah, especially as someone like as big like Peter Thiel, like one of the big VCs in America, said, "Hey, I'm pulling my money out." That's a big deal. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a very big deal. Yeah, and what's scary about it though is that um, that can happen to any bank, any bank. No, no matter the size. So I don't know if you saw today what was going on with Credit Suisse, but very similar stuff. Similar stuff, yeah. And like, I know some people were like, you know, saying, keep your money in the bank, you know, don't take it out. You know, the bank has done so much for us, you know. And other people are like, I'm taking my money out, right? Yeah. And like, and like, and it, to me, you really can't blame the people taking the money out, right? Because it's their money, right? Yeah. And, and like, you want to take make a payroll. risk. A lot of people need to make payroll. It's like, there's there's the logical thing, and then there's the thing that you would do when you're in the situation. Logic yeah. means absolutely nothing when you're going through it. Yeah. If you if you have fears about your bank closing on you and you have all your money there, which you, you got to pay do. 20 people in yeah. two days and you know their families are dependent on it, their mortgages are dependent on it, right? It's like, yeah. It's, it's easy to, to not be in it and to say you should keep your money there. But again, if you're, if you're going through that, I think most people are, are going to attempt to pull their now, money out. Now, does this have any effect on what happened at Silicon Valley Bank? I, I'm making this numbers up, but I think in 2020, they only had like, well, only, quote unquote, quote unquote, $49 billion. When they failed, they had like $229 billion. Like, and it happened like in two years. That, that rapid increase of money affected decision-making process, you think, or how they did things, or? Um, uh, yes, in a backdoor kind of way. Um, and they had, the to be more specific, um, they went from the 49 roughly to the two, they were under 250. So I think it was 249, 248 billion assets, which is different than, than, um, core hard cash. Cause if they, if they had, if they had that much money, they'd be fine. They'll still be here today. Um, but yes, when, um, you know, a lot of these big money, I mean, cause banks are the same as hedge funds, private equity, insurance companies, pensions, family. I mean, they're all, they all do the same stuff. They, they, they pull in money, invest it out, pocket the spread than what they have to pay back to the investors. Um, but when uh, interest rates were so low, they all were chasing yield. So that uh, a lot of, you know, I'm a banker, so I can't, you know, advise or, you know, speak. I can't, I can't say certain things, but a lot of people do make the case though, that, that um, if that was not the case, then they would not be in a position that they're in right now. Um, Cause whenever interest rates are lower, you know, commercial banks create uh, the majority of the money in the economy. Um, yeah, whenever they extend credit to you, that's them creating money. And what they're doing is basically banking on the fact, no pun intended, that you're not going to need to pull all that money at the same time. When they, when they, um, extend you $10 in credit, they only need to have one, one of those dollars like on hand. Okay. Um, so banks create money when interest rates are lower, they're more comfortable creating more money because they have to, they have to chase that yield. Because with all banks compete, all, all money managers compete on whatever the yield on bonds are. That's like the baseline. They have to at least beat that. So when it's one percent, you have to at least beat one percent. And all this, I'm guessing, like is basic math, basic bank stuff that you're talking about. Like any <laughs> regular bank would know this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All of them. 
All of but them. most regular Americans would, would probably know this, right? Most Americans, uh, we can we can we can drag this across multiple topics, but most Americans have no idea how bacon actually works. So is that like their fault? The schooling system's fault? Is that something like like a dad should be teaching their kid? Like this how finance works, you know? I think so. Um, And I also think that if you're going to school for finance or you take a finance class, even in high school, they should do a better job of teaching it. I think I think it's both, to be honest. So, of course, like we talked, two banks actually failed. Silicon Valley Bank got most of the press because, you know, because tech, semi-valley, you know, tech stuff. Yeah. But the other bank that failed, it pretty much failed for the same reasons or exact same reasons. And what do you know? What's the name of the other bank? Do you know? Signature. Signature in, in New York. New York, okay. Yeah. That's just like a relatively commercial bank. Yes. They, okay. They're a really big player in the real estate market in New York. Okay. So th- there's more implications on that one too. I mean, it's, I mean, new, real estate in New York, that's their biggest asset class. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, scary. And so we're talking pre talk about how, like, uh, I was saying, like, how, like, you know, ignorant some people are, right? On Twitter, I had some people on Twitter, like, well, who cares about those tech people? You know, they deserve to lose some money, or like, yeah. or like, you know, you, you're guaranteed two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's more enough to pay your payroll. Or one person put like, and you have to wonder sometimes: uh, is that a real person? Is a bot doing this right? Because oh well, what, there are a lot of bots. So, yeah, you know, it, I'm sure some people said that. One person said like, in order to have a small business or a tech company, you have to be a millionaire anyway. So this that's goes insane. This is on the personal fact, savings. Jason, is that true? No, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And the far as from the truth, right? No, it's it's insane. I mean, listen, I'm I'm no um, pro Fed guy. I'm not. I, I don't I don't fall in that camp. But um, it's insane to almost laugh at someone for not being able to access the money in their in their bank account. Because again, this can literally happen at any bank in the world. If everyone wanted to pull their money like that, they're done for. That's banking. There's no way around that. Yeah. So. Um What's your, what, what was your take on this? So of course, you know, they're not calling it a bailout or whatever. You just say text her to a back. It's, no, it's back. a bailout. It's a bailout. Do you think the government should have did what they did and back, back these back up or should they just let them fail that uh, free market economy take, take, take control? Um, I literally can't say what I think they should have done. But um, I will say this, and you know, you, you, you'll understand what I'm getting at. Um, if they did not do that and they let them fail and everyone involved and they take that approach just across the board, no matter how dire those consequences are. And I mean, these, it can get dire, like to the point where you drag down an entire country. But if they took the approach of just not touching anything, um, it would, just like with anything, teach the um, participants to be more disciplined and how they're behaving, you know, in the game, uh, so to speak. Um, but I, I can't say what I, you know. So do you think, I, I, I'm pretty sure that most Americans don't realize how close we came, like they being like really some bad stuff going on, right? I think most Americans are like, oh, we just paid these billionaires some money. I don't think I have any clue, like how, I won't say collapse. By the way, like, there's truth to that. There's truth to that. I mean, there has been over, uh, I wanna say 500 banks that has failed since 08. And you you don't you never hear anything about it. Um, I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah. Banks fail every year. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for a bank to fail. It's it's hard running a bank. It's a hard thing to do. Um, managing that kind of risk, you know, it's it's a balancing act essentially. Imagine, imagine like suppose you have like a, a bank with hundred million dollars, and probably like maybe two or three men have put, like have the majority of money. Like you know, man, I hope hope you know James Brown doesn't take out his twenty five million dollars tomorrow because he gets mad at us, right? Well, if your bank that has a hundred million in assets, you don't have a client that has $25 million okay. at all. You, you, you deal with, um, 
um, retail clients, like okay. traditional mom and pops that probably don't have more than five grand in, in their account at any given time. Um, if, cause I mean, think about it. If, if you, if you are a hundred million, I think that'd be considered a micro bank. If you okay. have a hundred million dollar, if you have a hundred million dollar bank, you, um, you have a client that has $25 million. That's 25% of your entire That's book. too big of a risk. Way too big. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's insanity. <laughs> that that's um they wouldn't even be able to take on that that deposit. It's too big. Okay. You, so so one thing that um most people don't realize is, is that there are different categories of banks as far as like their sizes and the um type of products that they operate in. Most people think banks are just what, you know, the branch that they walk into, they don't think it's any different. They don't know what happens in the back end of it. They just know, oh, um, I put my money here. I may need a credit card sometime. But um, it's so much, the world of finance, specifically banking, is it's like the matrix. It's, uh, it's so nuanced. There's so many different players that do so many different things, specialize in different areas, you know, geographies, everything. And um, I think the world is starting to wake up to that now. Because Silicon Valley was, I mean, that's a perfect example. They were under 250 billion in assets, um, and they catered to, uh, you know, they, they were they had a concentrated book as far as the type of clients that they serve, and um, concentration in banking is is one of the worst things you can do. Because when things go bad, it gets uh, horrific. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm pretty sure it is. Like, suppose like a lot of VCs in in, in the, the, the Bay Area, where they gave you company money, you had to agree to put your money into Silicon Valley Bank. I do know some VC firms that do do that. Yeah. yeah. Which um, one could argue is a conflict of interest. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, just a little bit, I would think. But what do I know? <laughs> I'm not suggesting it, though, but, you know, one could make that case. Yeah. So next, let's talk about the Federal Reserve. Oh, boy. And I, I could be wrong. But I think most average Americans think the Federal Reserve is belongs to the federal government, right? But isn't it actually like a private bank? Yeah, yes, it's a private okay. bank owned by 12 regional banks um, spread out across the country. So how, how did the Federal Reserve thing come about? Like this... Have people more confidence or like, what do you think? Um, if I had to summarize it like really quickly, yes, it's, it's there to instill confidence. Okay. Um, and they enact their confidence um, with essentially emergency credit facilities for banks um, and by influencing the front end of um, front end of the curve. So so primarily short dated um, interest rates. And the Federal Reserve chairman, he he's over those banks, right? I'm gonna get it wrong. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, he's a chair. I mean, you can word it that way. Okay. I mean, most people colloquially know it. But he doesn't. Way. He's not appointed by the president of the United States. It's like some he's voted in. Voted in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, I don't think people realize how powerful that person is. Okay. I, I think people know. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there, there. I think they know about Trump. They know. You can say that he's more powerful than the president of the United States. Yeah. Um, but you can also say that um, Jamie Dimon is more powerful than the president of the United States. Um. Yeah, these finance people, man. Because I mean, these are multinational corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, moving off the Federal Reserve, but like, um, like the Jamie Dimons and Larry Finks of the world, they they have branches, um, or headquarters rather, all over the world. Um, and I mean, I think J.P. Morgan specifically. I want to say they have somewhere around uh, nine million in assets, somewhere around there. I think. Um, that's such a inconceivable. Uh, um, inconceivable amount of money that people they can't really wrap their head around that. Yeah, and to to, to have that kind of weight is um it's kind of frightening. Yeah, I think Joe Rogan said one time famously that you know he has fuck you money. These people have like twenty times twenty times to the eighth power of fuck you money. I think you know it's um 
it's so far past fuck you money. It's it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. Now, they would say, you know, this is our client's money. It's not our money. You know, we're just, you know, prudent brokers or whatever. Um, but let's be real. They're, they're the ones making decisions on, yeah. on where, how to deploy the capital. It's their money. Yeah. So what's your, do you have any take on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? How's it going to affect future finances or like anything like that? No, not really. No. Um, and I, I don't, you know. Don't really deal with that that much. Well, it's not a need of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more of a thing. I, I'll talk about it on Discord with some of my mm-hmm. friends, but I, it's not. Um, I, I deal with hardcore banking and finance. Uh, Bitcoin, I wouldn't consider hardcore banking or okay. finance uh, until it's um, it is known or used as a consistent medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. It has literally nothing to do with my day to day business. Okay. Uh, what do you think about it, though? I, I think it's interesting. So I would pay attention. The first time I really pay attention to it when when my barber told me he accepted Bitcoin as payment, right? Uh-huh. They're like, oh, shit, this might be getting mainstream with my barber, you yeah. know, accepting it, right? 100%. Yeah. I think people are, like, interested in, you know, like, it's decentralized, all that kind of stuff, you know. I think it's an interesting concept, but, like, I don't know. Like, is anyone going to really go away from the American dollar? I mean, I don't know. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll say this: um, the U.S. dollar is the, the world reserve currency. It may not be for longer, but but it is. And um, I have a question: What incentive does literally any country in the world have for uh, to promote Bitcoin as their primary currency? I mean, countries literally over the history of the world has gone over war. They, they've gone to war yeah. over what currency is going to be used. Yeah. If you think that. Um, I'm not saying that Bitcoin won't be used as a primary currency. I'm not saying that. But if you think it's just going to be like smooth sailing, yeah. you know, countries just just going to let that happen. Yeah. Um, you're insane. I, I know the president of South Dark, South Dark with the Bitcoin. Of course, there's all the politics were against him and stuff, you know. Yeah. So I have no idea how that's going for that Those country. Those holes are also underwater, too. Yeah. He bought it. At, he, I mean, it was a classic, you know, buy it at the height mm-hmm. and <laughs> take substantial. That was imprudent on his part, by the yeah. way, if I may, in, in my opinion. Um, if I was his banker, I wouldn't uh, advise him to have done that. Yeah. So, how did you come so interested in finance? Was it your degree or no? It, no? Um, I actually did the antithesis of what most people do. I did not even bother with it in school. I did my own schooling. I just bought as many books as I can, um, and just read it. Now, I I got lucky to kind of circle back to our earlier conversations. I have no issue like maxing out going all in on like something I'm interested in. And by that, I mean like uh, buying the most arcane um, scholarly um, like textbooks on it, reading it front to back and just being completely enamored in it. It's fascinating to me. I love the flow of money. Like the idea of taking money and guaranteeing uh, um, to pay back to whoever gave it to you over a certain period of time and then reinvested it for um, and, and then pocketing the spread, it, that's just fascinating to me. It, I don't know why, it's, it's very interesting. And they do it across all forms of finance. They do it in banking, insurance, um, private equity, hedge funds, all of it. It's the, same, it's the same thing, just different time durations. Do you have any like finance mentor, so to speak? No. No? No. Well, I guess over the internet, but okay. like I, I have sources that like I have podcasts that mm-hmm. I listen to, you know, but um, no, I never, no. 
What mistakes do you think people make when they get into finance? When they get into it? Yeah. Uh, oh, not thinking big enough. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they get it. If, I mean, I, I have clients today that has worked at the biggest banks in the world doing the same thing that I'm doing right now. And um, I'll ask them, why are you even working with me? Why, why don't you, you know, I'm like, I'm younger than you. I've been doing it as long as you. Why don't you just do X, Y, Z? But they don't think big enough and they're scared. And uh, I think that's the number one. I think it's the number one thing across any industry. I, I do too, yeah. Across anything, actually. Even to in me, sports. people have, to have self, what's called self-limiting beliefs. Uh, I hate it and I love it at the same time because it's, it's so frustrating to see. But it helps me out because I'm not scared. Yeah. I'll do what yeah. you're scared to do. I'm right. There's nothing more frustrating to see someone like, man, you should be like 20 times better than me. You have all this potential. Like, and you're like, I hate to say like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Because maybe they're happy with it or whatever, but still it's like. Are they though? They might think they are. Let's circle back. Yeah. They're the guy that's on the couch doing the thing every day. Yeah. Are they happy? I don't think so. I think they're miserable. I think they hate yourself. I think, yeah. they, I think they hate their life. I really do. Um, because, you know, you, I mean, we're really touching on themes here, but they are probably in a relationship they're not happy with. Yeah. Um, they're, they're always thinking, you know, what if, you know, what, what if I done that, made that decision or, you know, did this career path or whatever. I, I, I don't think they're happy people. I think they do the regular thing and they're miserable. You make a good point. I think people like realize like how your life is decision points, right? Like 100%. if you like done this or maybe done that or maybe like you know maybe if someone left the house a couple of minutes earlier they would have ran into you mm -hmm. and you've been a cripple for life right or mm -hmm. just I don't like no, no one realized all these decision points you know very good or bad you know yeah that um that butterfly effect yes that butterfly effect yeah, yeah it's, it's real it's real to the point I mean you can get lost in that rabbit hole mm -hmm. to the point where I just zeroed it out at you know what all you can do is make good decisions moving forward. Yeah, because you you, you can you can you can do the what if game. Yeah, to affinity. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I think I read somewhere some of the odds of you even being alive, like one to a trillion, right? I think Gary V says that. Yes, Gary um, Yeah, and that's probably that, that's happen. an awesome way of looking at the world. Too. Yeah, it, it really puts everything in perspective. Uh, yeah, I I like approaching things that way, even though I have to remind myself to do it. Even like yeah. even today, I did. It's like it's kind of strange how you like you want to. People want to think they're special, you know, so you, that way you got to be more confident, do more great things. But then again, you got to think, you know, like you're this tiny speck and this tiny rock and a million, billion other rocks, you know, like. Yeah. So to, absolutely. And to that same point, um, are you into astrology? Yeah. Well, uh, no, no, actually, I'm not. I mean, I know I'm Sagittarius, you know, I'm more like like space stuff, excuse science me, stuff. Excuse me. Astronomy. Astronomy. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I've been I've been talking to too many goofy people. <laughs> um, but no, to that point, people don't realize how massive. Um, um, the actual world is outside of yeah, like outside I, of Earth. I, I think I saw a picture of the James Webb telescope. Like every day, they're um, finding like hundreds more galaxies, hundreds more planets, but probably a thousand more, right? Yeah. Like, I've just seen a picture, like all these little dots. It was yes. like each one's a galaxy, each one's like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's th insane. Th there are more um, universes than um, there's grains of sand yeah. um, on Earth. It's, um, it's, it's mind boggling. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, and then, we deal with numbers that so that, that are so yeah just large that I don't think it's humanly possible for us to really wrap our heads around it. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course, one side of people say like the, we're the only people 
you know, world only tells a life. Insanity. Yeah, but the thing is, like, there's like they they've proven there's like been life on Mars, different places, but of course, like the what's that little bacteria stuff. Yeah, but I just think the odd. I mean, you think largely speaking, there has to be life somewhere else, right? I mean, like maybe not just like us or like this, Whoa. and maybe look, they may look like jellyfish or something like we can't even conceive, you know, or very likely we don't even understand all the life forms on Earth. No, like there's so many like stuff in the ocean. If you have no idea what it is, right? Exactly. I mean, we don't even know all of human history. Let's just be no. honest. Um, so, I remember at Texas walking into a class. I hate school, by the way. I'm just throw it out there. I, I fought my teachers. I did all this stuff. Um, I remember walking into a class for astronomy, and first day, um, the TA, not even a teacher, some some guy that took himself more serious than he was. He's one of us actually. He's actually a student, but a TA was. Um, someone asked him, "Was there other forms of life outside of us?" Like on. Uh, um, were there forms of life on other planets mm -hmm. outside of Earth? And he like just laughed. He was very posh about it, very condescended. I, I just walked out. Yeah. Cause I'm like, if 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 you don't even entertain the thought, because yeah. you know so much, right? Because you're a genius. It, it, why am I? Why are you teaching me? What What is there that you can teach me? Yeah. Um, this is a waste of time. I, I'm out of here. I want to I want to run track and do business stuff anyway. This is yeah. stupid. And the thing is, like you know, like how much stuff do you not know right now, right? Like if you go, majority of things. if you go back thirty years ago, you no, know, there was no no well maybe hundred years. Like most people didn't have electricity, mm -hmm. obviously no cell phones, no space travel. Like yeah, and so I don't know if you know this, but um, I think it was your eighteen ninety four, eighteen ninety five, like eighteen eight, like at that time period, the US, U.S. Patent Office was actually wanted to try to close down because the head of the, head, the person head head charge said like everything's been discovered. There's no need for us anymore. <laughs> That's funny. That's that's um that's like up there with like um you know they pull out these quotes from like Steve Ballmer or yeah. whoever and they'll be like they they doubted uh an invention that that mm -hmm. went on to do really well yeah whenever you take a snapshot in history like that you're bound to find someone to say something stupid but no it, it it definitely the hubris of of uh humans to to think uh, that we know so much it's um again insanity what's a future invention that you hope gets gets done. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, the future of chat GPT. Okay. Um, cause the implications of it is, is, uh, uh, I think it's the most important, um, invention in our lifetime outside of the internet itself. I do think so. I don't know that much about it, but like, you know, I heard I can go there, like pretty much ask any information and get it. So if that's the case, why even go to school anymore? Right? Like what's well, the point? Um, cause it's a tool. Um, well, it should make school more thoughtful now. So the days of doing like mundane stuff just because I think are over. Um, it, it, it's it's the equivalent of like, um, I mean, you definitely know going to school and like using a calculator and getting in trouble for it. And it's like, where am I ever going to be in life in yeah. which I won't have access to a calculator? Um, it doesn't make math not important, though. You, you still have to know like how to use the tool of a calculator and how to apply it, yeah. um, how to put it into context, um, et cetera. Same thing for uh, with ChatGPT. It's a, um, a researcher's dream. I mean, I, I, the way my brain works, I, I just take in a lot of information. Um, every, every night I'm researching more stuff in the industry. And um, I, I mean, it's, it's just perfect, man. You can just ask it something very specific, very, 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 very specific. Um, ask it to give you the sources, examples, um, put into a certain context, and then give you both sides of it. And it'll, it'll spit it out within seconds. That's um, that's incredible. 
Um, but yeah, the days of, of like just having the days of regurgitation are over. Thank God, because that doesn't you can regurgitate something. We know people who got straight A's because they can regurgitate yeah. and were abject idiots. Yeah, they just couldn't. Um, they could you know tell you the the perfect dimensions of a square, but couldn't tell you like how to put that in yeah. the proper context of a subject. I just hope the people in charge of schools realize this, you know, and they're actually like changing the time, so to speak, you know, like change the curriculum, the curriculum and stuff, more updated. I think they're going to point and complain and cry. Academia, I really hate it. I, I can't stand it. I really don't like school. It's it's more show than like substance. All the um, the genuine thinkers get pushed out. If you are um, original in any aspect, school is just not for you. And then, uh, I mean, me personally, I'm so biased on this, by the way. Yeah. But I mean, me personally being in class and like just having to play these stupid games with professors with these ego complexes, um, I I just never it always blew my mind that they'll put that like the, you know, the look of things yeah. over the actual substance of what. And that's assuming that we're talking about a hard science. We're not going to touch on liberal arts. Yeah. Philosophy, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's all politics at that point. Yeah. It's all. Do I agree with your opinion? Mm -hmm. If not, you'll you'll magically find yourself in the lower I'll, percentile. I'll be a communist for a semester, get your A, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> to that point, the, the amount of people in schools who are pro-communist is uh, actually scary. The amount of people in Seattle that are pro-communist are kind of scary, too. They're, I won't say the guy's name, but um, I was talking to him uh, sometime last year, and uh, about six months ago. And... He just said it casually. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a communist. I, you know, I believe in these principles. And I was just looking at him like. He probably owns a business. Of course he does. No, it's, uh, of course he does. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's interesting. You know, so being in a position, you know, that not as in like in a high position, but being able to talk to so many different business owners. I mean, that's what I do every day. Um, I just keep my opinions to myself. It's not my job to give them yeah. like world opinions. We, we're, it's my job to give them um, opinions on a financial transaction, uh, a non-security one. But like, you know, how should we structure this deal? Yeah. So it, it, sometimes it's hard, especially dealing with different personalities. But uh, yeah, the, 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 there are communists here. I see. I've never seen this in Texas, by the way. I, no. I've, I've only seen it in, in Seattle. No, exactly. Um, so we're gonna come back to your come your back and stuff in a minute, but next I want to switch to the Olympics, right? Oh yeah. So I'm gonna play a video for you. Oh god. Hopefully this thing works. You about to blindside? Oh. oh so. Yeah, yeah. So this is when the Olympic trials. Yeah. I just want you to like comment through the race, like what you if you remember what you were thinking about during those time period, like yeah. Race. Actually, let me first say. Okay. Um, lane eight, Jeshua. He's a coach at uh, University of Washington right now. Okay. We've never talked until I think two months ago. Great guy. Um, he's a men's head track coach there? Or? Um, I think he's a sprint coach there. Okay. Um, I should put you two in contact with yeah. each other. He's, he's really awesome. Um, Lane Seven, Karan Clement, um, he's one of the greatest athletes ever. Great, great guy as well. Um, just as he was starting to like be a mentor to me, because we didn't go to the same schools. He mm -hmm. went to Florida, I went to Texas. Um, just as he was starting to become a mentor to me, I retired. So we didn't okay. actually retire around the same time. Okay. Because he's, he's older. He's uh somewhere around 10 years older. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, lane six, Michael Tinsley. He was in my training group, um, pr my professional training group. Um, really good guy. Um, he's awesome. Johnny Dutch, 
crybaby. We don't have to talk about him. <laughs> he's, he's a crybaby. Um, Ricky, I don't know him that well, but um, like we, we've talked in passing, and um, he seems like a really good dude. I don't, I don't think he runs anymore. Quincy stills run. Um, yeah, he still runs. He went to LSU, and um, crazy for him. Cra- crazy for him. Like, it's all over the place. But uh, that's Quincy. Though. He's a he's a really good, well rounded athlete. He can run everything up to the eight. Uh, Lane two is the most handsome guy in the race, <laughs> and Bershawn was my idol as I was coming up in track. Okay, because we were uh, similar heights, and we had the same running style as far as how we how we ran the race. And um, he's one of the most um, giving people. Um, as like as his character, and he he is one of the um, most impressive track athletes like ever. And if I did my research right, you're the you're actually only the only college person in this finals, right? Correct. Yeah. I, so I, I think, and again, I think most Americans think Olympics, college, like amateurs, but track is actually mostly pros, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Track is interesting because even if you have, if you look at a pro time mm-hmm. and a collegiate time, these may be the same times, but to do it as a pro is so much harder. It's it's so much harder that like, it's not even funny. It's, it, it's almost like looking at different times. It's so much harder. Yeah. Um, so off sub, off topic, right? Pop my head. So Tyreek Hill recently ran like some kind of masters race, right? Yeah, sixty. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, yeah, like the regular people, like, oh my god, he won this. You know the race that Henry ran track in nine years. Then I see some track people like, dude, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't even like um, uh, make it to the finals in college at that time, right? He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have made it to the meet. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And did you ever watch the, the Pat McAfee show? I'm familiar with it. So it was so funny, right? They did one episode, right? Man, I can't believe Tyreek Hill ran so fast. And the next <laughs> day, he like, I got correct myself, right? Like. I don't know what's going on here, but like, let's look at these other runners, right? Like, what is it, dude? What is this dude, dude running? Like, he's running sideways, right? This dude running straight up. Like, who are these jokers running as Target Hill, right? Yeah. It was like so funny how, like, man, I, I, I gotta change my mind, right? First, I have Target Hill, like, it's a badass, right? Well, non-track people have to. Um, we just have to focus on time. So mm-hmm. let's let's just take our opinions out of it. What are the t- that's what I love about track. It what is the time? Yeah. What, what is the time and what was the win? And then that just tell you everything. Um, but no, I mean, listen, for someone to even step out that doesn't have to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, six, seven, that's like he's like slow walking anything either. Like it's pretty, it's still pretty fast, right? I mean, maybe not track, track fast, but like. For a football player, yeah. it's incredibly fast. It was insane. That, did you see that jump he did? To me, that, that was insane, that jump he did before he started. Oh, 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 oh. When he, uh, like uh, getting to blocks? Yeah, how high he got. Yeah. No, he he's an um, impressive athlete, just not a track athlete. Yeah. <laughs> and it showed in the time. But no, it, it takes heart to even show up, mm-hmm. though, because no one else is going to do that. No. But um, let's not get it twisted. He can't stick with a, yeah. a track sprinter. So you ran the 400 meter hurdles. Is that the, that's the same thing Greg Foster ran, right? Greg Foster? Yeah. Who's okay. Greg Foster? He, he's like a Olympian back in the 80s. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, like I'm sorry, he, Greg. He, like, yeah, like he recently died. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought he ran Rest the 40-meter hurdles too, yeah. He may have. Yeah. But if he did, I'm not aware of him. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to look into him afterwards, though. Yeah, I want, I, maybe he ran something else. I, I remember him and, and Edwin Moses ran it too, right? Edwin's a really great guy. Yeah. He, he was there. Was he? Okay. I, yeah, after, after I had um finished running, I, I met him. Yeah, he won like some like 10 million races in a row, right? Something insane like that, didn't he? It was like, like, it was like nine years, nine yeah. months, and nine days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he... Um, I, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not getting to the goat conversation, but um, but not. That's um. I don't think anyone will ever touch that. I, I that's mean, incredible. I, I definitely thought tracking. He definitely has to be in the conversation. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. Um, but to be honest with you, I really don't. I don't talk track that much. Yeah. Um, 
I'd be forgetting I even ran track. Yeah. I'm I'm more excited about what I do now than I ever was with anything with, with track. All right, so having said that, I'm playing this video of your Olympic trial. Can you just like go maybe go to your thought process like we were thinking each run, like you know, like other kind of stuff? Yeah, but I I, I can save you the time because I wasn't thinking. You weren't? No, I just blacked out. I don't I don't remember the race. You don't? Mm -mm. Okay. We'll play it anyway. Let's do it. So one thing the audience I set up right. So I'll hear that, so. Okay. Yeah, um, I don't really engage in this a lot, but Johnny Dutch really is a crybaby. Is he? he? Yeah, he um. Is he still running track? What do you say? He still run. I don't think so. Okay. But he was making excuses after the race, and I was just like. So, so, I was saying this thing where like they're comparing uh, Jason Owens to like, Usain Bolt, and it's like you did the timing right. Usain Bolt was like 14 strides ahead. Mm -hmm. They said if you factor in technology, like the running surfaces, that he would only be like one step behind Usain That's Bolt. That's not true. That's not true. Oh. No. No. Okay. He'd he be substantially further ahead than one step. Okay. And people have that they have, all have different forms. You're not like one form to do? Well, you couldn't have the same form even if you wanted to because everybody's body's different. Body's different, okay. Yeah. But as far as like technique, it's the same or like you just get over the best you can. We go for a certain technique, but some t when when this race, when you get after hurdle five, you just need, you just want to make it home. So at this, at this point, uh, I do know that um, the way I ran my race, I would slow down the back end. So if you notice, everyone's in front of me. Yeah. Can you actually fail to go to the Olympics, right? Nope, not at all. Okay. Yeah, and then from here, I just blacked out. And when you're ready, you, put, you, you kind of pay attention to what people do on the side of the side. You just totally focus on your lane and taking care of what you can take care of. In, in this race, yeah. I would just focus on myself. Okay. To, to be completely honest with you. Oh, man. Man, and you, you probably feel like, what, zero, zero point seconds ahead of somebody else? Like, it was really close. Uh, with Mike, Michael Tinsley, the... Um, who with whom I um trained with professionally afterwards. But no, that was um man. I did that. So next I'm gonna play this thing you said this right after you did your um I forgot about this. I've been through a lot already so I just wanted to stop. I I knew every uh you trying to make me cry so talk about that speech he did i mean like was that right after the race or yeah like, yeah yeah it was just like i'm pretty sure you rehearsed i think this what i spoke to was on your mind right that wasn't rehearsed yeah. No, 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 there was nothing rehearsed about it. Um, no, just talk about no, you said I can still live your life that way, right? Just 100%. Make, you need a shot, right? And yeah. you're going to take advantage of it. 100%. Um, yeah, so I, I am a, uh, I give an exterior, like, of, 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 of someone who's very stoic. I'm very emotional. In a sense, I'm very passionate. Mm -hmm. Everything that I do and say, I, I put all of my weight behind it. Um, so to the first part, everything that I do, up to that point in my life, that's all that I wanted to do. I sacrificed everything for it. I mean, everything. Ever since I was, um, I want to say around uh, 13 or 14, and I did that at 21. Um, when I say I sacrificed everything, that means no parties, none of the stuff that people my age ever did, didn't do any of it. Um, 
gave up on a lot of friendships, slept on a lot of couches, had to uh, get rides nonstop, buses for hard training days. And, I mean, training days in which like you can't even stand up afterwards. Um, and then bus back and, you know, just continuously. Um, and you still do school, you know, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So you still got to be a son, you know, you still got to do probably chores chores around the house and exactly. that stuff. And up until that, so like literally a week out before that, I, mean, I was in college and um, I had like $50 to my name. $50. That was it. $50. And I ran out of uh, a protein. Um, that I would take after training. And I remember like going to the GNC, walking to the GNC, it was, you know, cause I didn't have a car and um, buying the protein, I think it was 28 99. Uh, it was GNC brand. And I remember thinking like, this is it. You know, between this and the groceries that I have, cause the school was paying f- um, for my trip. You know, I was thinking if I don't, you know, if if I don't make it happen at this meet, I'm falling back on nothing. There's nothing to fall back on. This is it. Um, and, and it's just like a lot of small stories like that um, of equal, you know, um, intensity that that it takes to be able to do something like that, which is why I don't even like having a conversation with people. Like we were, I had a conversation with a client maybe uh, about two months ago. It was an onboarding talk and he was a big sports guy and he had like very opinionated takes on different athletes, but he never did like a sport really. And if he did, it wasn't at a high level. I'm not that guy. I could never be that guy. Cause I know that if you are on TV or you win anything, it takes so much that you don't even see to even, yeah. even get to that point. Not yeah. to say, we're not even addressing like doing it well, mm-hmm. even to get there, it takes a lot. Um, and because I, I lived it, I don't, you'll never hear me really bash an athlete. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a bad performance, but I'm yeah. not going to attack someone's character just because of something like that. But um, but no, in that in that interview, that that was um, I do live my I live that way still to this day, 100. Yeah. percent You ever see like there's a long time ago this this uh, TV commercial where like Payne May was playing quarterback and this guy was like, yo, Payne, you suck. You can't do this. Can't do that. And the next day, Payne showed his job. What are these numbers? You, you, you're the worst accountant in the history of the world, right? Like, you know, like people don't realize like you criticize these athletes, but no one comes to your job and tell you how much you suck either, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's a privilege, to be honest with you, to be in a position where you have a lot of people. Oh, by the way, we didn't touch on at the actual Olympics where I didn't make the um, final. Cameraman had the, the camera in my face. I told him to get the fuck out of <laughs> I told him to get the fuck out of my face. And I remember uh, getting on Instagram afterwards yeah. and I was told I wasn't American, and I, you know, all the stuff. It, the peanut gallery was, was yeah. having their way. But it, it's a privilege to be in that position, though, because if you think about it, if if you're talking to a stranger that way mm-hmm. and you're just spewing all this stuff, you, yeah. your life must suck. Because yeah. I can tell you right now, I am much more I, I am in a much better position today mm-hmm. than I, I've ever been in my life. Yeah. And I would never talk to like a peer that way. Yeah, no. Even if they did something egregious, I wouldn't. I don't how winners don't how long. You know, you just don't do yeah. that. That's, that's some lo- that's a loser behavior. Yeah. That's what unsuccessful people do. Yeah. Um, even if I see someone, even if I don't know them, mm-hmm. if it's a regular person on the street and I see them fall or do something that's they that they think is embarrassing, I would help them up. I'm not gonna pile on. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's what losers do. Here's one for you. So does it go down the Liquor Village like people say it goes down the Liquor Village? To be honest with you, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know. When, when I was there, I was I was in my room. I was train. I'll go train. Yeah. I'll go eat and come back. I I mean, yeah. I mean, you would see the the pals, the um, 
they, I mean, they, they were handing out condoms mm-hmm. by the hundreds. Um, but um, I didn't, I didn't do any of it. Okay, I, I didn't do anything. Was the limp experience like a good experience for you? Of course. Okay. I mean, it was. I mean, it's better to watch it than the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it's attracted me at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, there's all the shows. I mean, the shows all the cameras and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still attracted me. What was it like the uh, I'm like walking in the, the opening ceremonies? Um, I mean, that was insane. I'll be listen. You're not gonna believe me. The so for me. I've always wanted to do what I'm doing right now. Like, as I talk to you right mm-hmm. now, I always wanted to be like a business owner mm-hmm. doing something in the investment space. That was cool. Mm-hmm. But because I sacrificed so much to get to that point, when I actually got there, I thought it would be more to the point yeah. where I'm not going to say I didn't appreciate it, but I appreciate the journey more yeah. than the actual Olympics. I have an Olympic, you know, I have the rings, but I really don't think about track anymore. I really don't. It's a part of your past life or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm so like focused on our different lines of business now or different markets we want to get into. Or now I'm starting to think about how I want to set up my future family. Um, I just, I don't think about old stuff, to be honest with you. Right. And it wasn't that long ago. You yeah. know, just so much stuff is happening now since then, but especially like today. I, I, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest with right. you. So, My, just, so just a few more questions about track. Mm-hmm. First one is like, like, do you decide you were in the Florida Marine Hurst Olympics? I'm like, coming back track. Like, so I say you were in 600 meters of the races, you know, relays. Like, who, like, did you say, hey, I want to focus on the Florida Marine Olympics? I think that's the best thing for me. Or does a coach say, I think you better do 600 meters. Like, how does that work? Um, kind of a combination. But, I mean, you, even to get to Olympic trials, you have to run a time to qualify. But, I mean, if, we, if we're talking, like, beginning of the season, how the strategy is like, um, yeah, I mean, but you should know what, what event. You only see that kind of conversation, really, if you're, like, a, a one-two guy okay. or a long jumper slash 100 guy. Sometimes in in uh, not sometimes a lot of times in in the um, longer distances too. If you're a five guy or a ten guy or, or whatever, but um, for me personally, I mean, I, I, I already knew that I was going to be a four hundred hurdler. Okay. So all those other races were either for training or for the team because at that time I was in I was in college. So I had to run a six hundred and four by fours and two hundreds like a conference for points for the team. And you turned pro after you graduated from college, right? Yeah. Uh, um, well, yeah, pretty much. And I know there's a lot of pro races in Europe. Oh, this ain't like pro track teams or any, what is it called, pro something in the United States, all pretty much all in Europe. No, they, they have clubs here, but they're not real teams, though. Okay. They, they're really just um, a bunch of professional athletes that will get together under one coach and it will train together and they'll call it a club. But, I mean, you don't make your money from being in a club. Make your money from getting a shoe deal and or um, – uh, running at at meets, traveling to meets, and running. It's, it's track is really a sales job, to be honest with you. It's 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 a physical sales job. Now I could be wrong, but I, is it sounds like track and feels like way more popular in Europe versus the United States. One hundred percent. Why do you think that is? Any idea? I, uh, I think just culturally, they just okay. care more, and I think there's also less competition. I, I believe because uh, outside of uh, soccer. Uh, depending on what part of the world we're talking about, um, it's just less competition. Because um, we have NFL, NBA, baseball, you know, I mean, how can you compete with that? That's that's yeah. a lot. I don't, I don't think you get that like in Switzerland. No. Don't get me wrong, they have their like their niches yeah. of different sports, but outside of uh, football, they don't really have anything. 
Yeah. And, and that's where athletics would come in. So when you're in college, there was no such thing as name, meaningful, as name, meaningful likeness, right? The NIL deals? Nah, nah, that wasn't a thing. So how do you think this affecting college athletes now? I, personally, I think it's a good thing. Things but, I, th- but I think some people don't agree with that. What's your take on that? Do you uh, think your life would be easier? Like, suppose you, you, you sign a, a NIL deal with, I don't know, some taco restaurant in Austin, Texas, right? And give you 5000 a month. Do you think that would decrease your drive? Me? Yeah. No. No. For, for an average college person? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, because... I did it professionally. I was in the one percent, mm-hmm. the one percent of the one percent. Um, but I wouldn't. I, I would make a decision off of off of that for mm-hmm. the average. Co- I mean, but I mean, most college athletes are not going to do it professionally anyway. Yeah, um, most people don't. Yeah, most athletes don't realize that. You know, like what's the chart? You know, for every high school athlete, maybe zero point zero one percent will make it pro some kind of way. Yeah, and if you do make a pro, like NFL is like what average of five years. You know, so no, nah, not even five years, three. Three, I think it's two and a half. I, th- I think it's yeah. two and a half. Um, but no, I listen. If <laughs> whether they should get paid or not, I'm agnostic. I don't, I don't even get into that that conversation really. But um, they, um, I don't think it's going to motivate them more. No, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, these are these are college kids. Yeah. What would you have done <laughs> at, at twenty or nineteen? Yeah, or eight, no, at eighteen yeah. actually, and you get paid five grand. Yeah, or like fifteen grand. I say fifteen grand. You've never seen that much money in your life. I was like, dude from California, quarterback. He had signed a thirteen million dollar deal with Florida, and then they they said, no, we can't do that. You know, like dude hasn't done nothing in college, like being thirteen million dollars. You know, like. Well, I'm a free market capitalist. I, yeah. I have. If you if 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 you demand that from the market mm-hmm. and the market agrees, yeah. do you think? Yeah. Um, is it good for that individual uh, young person? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we 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 can we can we can go back and forth about yeah. it. I think on a net basis, no. Yeah. I, I don't think it. I don't think it moves them closer to if assuming they want to be a pro. Yeah. I don't think it moves them closer to being a pro. Yeah. Nah. Can you imagine if NIL was along back from Deion Sanders in college or Bo Jackson was in college or the boss was in college, right? How much money they would have made? Let's not get it twisted. Athletes are, have always been getting paid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, they would have been paid handsomely, yes, but yeah. the athletes today are going to make even more. There's more yeah. money in circulation. Yeah. It's, more, it's, big, it's a bigger market. One thing I do like about the NIL deal, so I don't, I can't remember this guy's name, like, like when he was eight, nine years old, there's a picture of him like, like for the holding up a Popeye's bucket, or whatever or Popeye's chicken, or the look of his face, like what's going on here? Mm. Ten years later, he went to like some like oh, yeah, division yeah. two college, Terrio. and like some put on Twitter, Popeye, you don't give us any idea. I will never eat your chicken again. And then he got hooked up, you know. So that uh, I really like those kind of stories. Terrio. That's it. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. He, man, we're getting old. Because yeah. when I saw the the most recent picture of him, I was like, damn. Yeah. He's really like he, he's he's really an adult now. Yeah. Like wow. But um, no, that, I like that example. That, that was a funny one. I like that. Yeah. So I definitely think social media and all that kind of stuff can definitely do some good, you know. Of course, it does bad stuff too sometimes, unfortunately. You know, this is the first time I even talked about this. Actually, second time. The first time was in 2019 with um, one of my old training partners, Olivia, Olivia Baker, with her dad. Um, by the way, I know you don't know Olivia. She's one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. And she's killing it now. Um, she runs at 800. I think she just signed with Adidas too. Okay. Um, and she's obviously going to med school after after she runs track. But um, man, I, I've had a great fortune of really meeting people like through track. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In fact, I was talking to one of my old training partners yesterday. I could be doing 75 hard together. And I, I was telling him like, man, if we did this while we start running track, we would have broke the world record. Because <laughs> it gets you so mentally sharp. Yeah. Do you do still do? I know you don't run track. Do you ever do? Do you still do track record, check workouts on a regular basis? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, in fact, for my second workout, I'm gonna um, run some two hundreds today. Uh, but you never get itch like dude, dude, like for real. I scratch that itch in business it's, now. That's gone. Okay. I scratch that itch in business now. Uh, it gives me the exact same feeling. Mm-hmm. By the way, in fact, I had a really big meeting this morning. Mm-hmm. I had two really big meetings this morning. Um, just know they were really big meetings. Okay. And going into it, it felt just like a track meet. Okay. It's like, all right, well, I, be, I, I was prepping all last night for it. I was like, yeah. I'm going to go into it. I'm going to cover these points. I'm going to start this way. You know, boom, boom, boom. Feels just like a track meet. J- just like it. And um, now I don't have to kill my body yeah. <laughs> to get the feeling. So that's, yeah. that's great. So for, for your business, like, how many people you talk to per day for your business? Like, how do you like to do the networking stuff? How do you get your, your, your business out there? Um... Well, per day, um, I do less outreach myself. Uh, I try to focus it more on um, really big picture stuff, but I'll talk to my VPs every day. I mean, that's that that's who I spend the majority of my time talking to now or our um, biz dev guy. Um, you know, I, I try to keep it in-house. And then um, the way I set it up, I spend most of my time talking to them in-house. They'll spend more time talking to, they, they spend more time interfacing with clients um, or the bankers okay. that, that work um, in, in their teams, in their respective teams. Um, I'll focus now, whenever I'm talking to someone outside of the company, I'll, I'll spend uh, most of my time talking to like a, a big partner that we're working with, like a, a private equity fund, uh, or any fund, any, any fund, a hedge fund, private equity fund, a bank, something like that, or like uh, a strategic partnership, or you know, some, something like that. I try and, not to talk to too many clients anymore. And your company's growing pretty fast in both in terms of of money and and, and number of people work for you, right? Yes. Yeah, we we grew um, over. I mean, literally over. It was started from a low number, but we grew over a hundred percent this year. Um, yeah. The, and was that planned or just, I mean, of course, it didn't, it didn't just happen, but like, was that part of your plan to grow that fast? Yes. Yes. I wanted to um, grow the headcount and the um, the amount of financing, both over 100%. Uh, yeah. I've always been thinking scale. So the people that work for like, what are some of the positions? Are all of them finance people or like you're like, you're like marketers, sales people, like what type of people are in there for you? All finance people and one biz dev guy. Okay. Yeah. So we have we have two um, two VPs. They have a few bankers under them and a biz dev guy who who um, I would say a lot like you is just knows everybody. He knows everybody overseas like different governments. Mm-hmm. When, wow. Yeah. When I met him, we were talking. He's like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I know this person. I'm like, you do. Just not just out me. Like, oh, I just I know him. Like, you know who? Like, yeah. And then um, it got to a point. He'll intro us to certain like people. It got to a certain point. I'm like, listen. We got talk. Um, yeah, that's just how that that's how that worked out. It, that that wasn't planned either. That that one wasn't planned. That just happened. So how did you find these people? Like, were you, were you actually recruiting on like LinkedIn or Indeed, or is that come from referrals? Like, how do you find all these people? All the above. Okay. All the above. Um, I mean, we get um, applicants every day. Very a fraction of them I'm actually in love with. Mm-hmm. And then for that fraction that, that you actually like, you have to, you have to recruit. Yeah. You have to, you have to sell them on the vision of the company. Um, that, that's one thing that has been exciting. And I completely um, downplay going into this year is that um, 
recruiting is much more difficult yeah. than, than I thought it was. Yeah. It's um, I, it may be the number one thing actually. Also, to that point, um, to all the um, younger people that, that that's going to listen to this, um, I, what they think or what they see on TV of like running a company or being the guy, the the big man, you know, the the boss, you know, that guy, it's completely wrong. You know, you, you spend, you work for them, you work for your team. Yeah. It's not the other way around. And um, your job is that of a sell. you are the salesperson, like you're the top salesperson and you have to sell people every single day. You have to sell your, your, your lieutenants, um, your vendors, uh, potential clients, the world, so they're familiar with what it is you do. Um, and it's a completely, it's almost like running for public office. I mean, you're working for the world. The world isn't working for you. And I think a lot of times um, people think it's the other way around. And it's, it is dead wrong. It makes me laugh when people say, I'm tired of working for my boss and I'm starting my own company. Like, dude, you, you're tired of working for a boss. Let's imagine your employees are your boss, your vendors are your boss, yeah. potential customers are your boss, your potential cancer are your boss. Yeah. You go from one boss to have like dozens of bosses, right? Yeah, yeah. If not more. Um, I wish the young people would really like take that in too. Because um, the, the people younger than me that I would talk to, um, they're all about like making the fast money, doing the, you know, the drop ship, the whatever the thing is. Make one TikTok video, get 10 million followers and, you know, get an endorsement yeah. deal somewhere. They're, they're worried about that next 10 grand. And I'm like, listen, man, if you, I know this sounds unreasonable, but you're 21 right now. This is a conversation I actually had. Like you're 21 right now. If you focus for four years, you could be in the top 5% of all Americans. You'd be the top 0.1% of all people at 25 mm -hmm. or 26. And you'll have an actual brand yep. and you can you can take off from there. They don't want to do it though. So, I mean, to a, 20, to a 21 year old, five years sounds like 30. Yeah. And they just want that 10 grand so they can put it all on a down payment for a budget uh, Mercedes so they can impress their friends. Yeah. And it's- um, they, they get the Toyota Corolla version of the Mercedes Benz. Mm -hmm. Or uh, you name the muscle car. Mm -hmm. By the way, I like muscle cars. I, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it. But um, it's sad. It, it's sad to the point that I ask myself, why am I even? Maybe maybe I shouldn't be talking to 21 year olds. Maybe I should wait a few years and then yeah. talk to someone that's my age right now. Because mm -hmm. um, everything I ever tell them falls by the wayside. And I know people who give the same advice and make and make money doing it. Yeah. So I'm like. <laughs> I, I don't want things to be crazy. Like a lot of young people, I was saying when I was young, you know, like I'm, I'm 55 now. Like, man, I'm 55 that's older, decrepit. But like I have more focus energy decrepit. now than I can I, I, I ever did, right? And I'm so focused now. I think a lot of young people, like I got to do it now, now, because I get older. I mean, I mean, be able to do it right. But like, I just said, like right now, man, I have so much focus, energy, right? It's, it's insane. I, I will press upon you to tell more people this too. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I talked to a lot of people that, uh, I forgot the acronym that came up with it, but basically to work so they can retire and not do anything. Yeah. And um, <laughs> first of all, like- It's just disgusting. I, like, I, I can't get with like that. I, when I retired from military, I, tr I actually tried that. I played golf a couple weeks. Like now I'm, I'm bash it crazy, right? Like <laughs> like my kids are like other people, like well, you retired, you're 25 years old, just take it easy. Like I can't do it, right? I just, I, I'll go bash it crazy. I have to do something. Yeah. I, I would press upon you to tell more people that too. Yeah. Um, I don't get that, that whole thinking. It, it may be linked to the communism talk we had earlier. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I could be reaching there. I don't know. But the, the thinking that like, you're just not going to do anything. Yeah. I don't get that. So here's a good story for you. So this guy was on my podcast about a year ago. 
uh, Mr. Charles Ham. He was in Vietnam, 65, 69, started his own company, right? You know, retired at like, 70, like 75 years old, right, two years ago. He started to do a post on LinkedIn, like doing like little, you know, like a witticism, you know, like country witticism, like, you know, do that, do this, right? And he has like, like 50,000 followers on LinkedIn. That turned to a book deal. So he's like, he just turned 77 yesterday. Oh, wow. He has, he's, he has a, his book is the number one, was the number one book in three different countries. He has his own TV show now. He's like, he said like, dude, I'm 77 years old. I've never imagined it was happening to me, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, he's never truly get started, right? And like, man, this dude's 76, 75, like, doing all this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has their own path, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel bad. I almost feel for them. Like, the, that same that same group of 21-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I, I feel for them because they, they, I mean, Instagram played more of an influence in their childhood yeah. than any group. And they're just looking, they're scrolling on Instagram, they're following mm-hmm. celebrities, who they think are celebrities. Yeah. And um, they're focusing on that 1%. And they think everyone lives that way. Yeah, It's insane. That's, yeah. Jason, I have, con- I even had a conversation with someone today. Yeah. That um, if you looked on their, their social media, you would think that like, you know, you see all the gloss and yeah. stuff. They can't even buy a plane ticket. Remember when uh when Bowwall got busted out? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. I always that. think about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, it, it was it wasn't bad unless uh, outside of the fact that he tried to make it seem like it's something it wasn't. Yeah. Um, because I'm I really don't laugh at people. Mm-hmm. I'm not the guys. You know, I, I, like I said earlier, I don't pile on. Um, it was the fact that you were trying to flex. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, why? But that's that's the world that we're in, and yeah. and, and because you know things are that way. You ready for it? That's why I think business is easy right now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love that that clip from Dana White. Um, I always post it on, on my social media about how um, everyone's soft now, things are mm-hmm. easy, and if you're like, if you're a serious worker, yeah. you can just, you know. And I mean, I even had a all hands on deck meeting with my team um, Monday and again today mm-hmm. about just where everything is right now, yeah. as far as like like culturally. Um, and uh, as far as the economy, and if we, when we, just double down, get more aggressive, be on the offense, we're gonna we're gonna take off. Yeah, because um, people are more worried about the flash, man. Yeah, they, they're more worried about getting five, ten, let's say at max fifteen k. What does that do? I don't, why why go for the quick fifteen when you can get the slow ten million? It's it's illogical. I don't get it. Do you get it? No, I don't. Maybe I'm tripping. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But whenever I talk to 21 year olds that know it all, I don't, I don't even know why they ask me questions because they already think they have the answer. Yeah, you know, it must be frustrating having kids. Um, you have no idea. But whenever I talk to them, this is what I'm getting. They're asking the question, wanting me to answer a certain way to affirm what they already think. And I'm like, why am I even talking to you? I'm busy. I don't have to talk to you. Here's one for you. This is my opinion, right? So, like, I think that I think people are working in two categories, right? I'm making this number. I say like, twenty percent of the people are like this, right? You know, I work for you. You pay me. I'm making this number. You pay me eighty dollars an hour. Like, man, this guy's paying me eighty dollars an hour. I, I give him at least hundred fifty dollars of value from that eighty dollars, right? I gotta make him know that's a good investment for me. I gotta mm-hmm. you know, make myself better, make the company better. Mm-hmm. But I think eighty percent of the people are like. He only paid me $80. I'm only going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do anything else. And then like 
you take those two people and the people, the 80%, they wonder why they get no promotions, no raises. It always goes to 20%. Like, I don't know if it's not my job description. Like, yeah. Is that you find the same thing or I'm off, off on this? What do you think? I talk to people who, who approach things that way. I'm not hiring that. I can tell you that right now. I need killers. I need people who are looking to go above and beyond. And it's this is what I think. I think it's, it's, it's their job to do that. It's my job to make sure there are resources and systems in place so that there's no limit to them working in, in, in the company. So we, we meet each other both ways. You go above and beyond on your part, I go above and beyond on my part so that we both can, you know, get, you know, something out of this transaction. But um, a lot of people are the way that you mentioned though. They um, look what they can take and I give, you know, I don't get paid enough for that or let me let me skim and see the bare minimum that I can do. And um, that's why they are where they are. Yeah. You you won't, you'll never hear someone making 250 and up doing that. Yeah. Now, obviously, the people to get paid with a value, all that kind of stuff. We're not saying that. We're not saying what community raise, what community raise that. But no. if you get paid a salary, I mean, you're someone expects you to give like do your job or more than your job, you know. Oh, by definition, you have to do more than what you're paid or you wouldn't be at the company because yeah. it wouldn't be profitable for them. Yeah. But um, yeah, most companies are not nonprofits. <laughs> literally. No, no, no. Seriously, though. No, no, literally. Um, yeah, you know, is it even worth even even trying with those kind of people? Because, I mean, but at the same time, most people are just content. They just, they just want to get by. Yeah. And if they're living in that space, who's to tell them that they're wrong? Everyone can be ambitious. I'm, I'm a nut, personally. I don't expect people to do what I do. Um, just don't judge me. I won't judge you. You can be the lazy one. Just don't judge me. I'm not going to judge you. Like I like to do baller stuff. I, I like I, I like the stuff. All right, you know, I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. This, I want to live life on on that other end. Don't judge me for pursuing that. I'm not going to judge you for not pursuing it. So it we can be cool with it. Um, just don't judge me. That's all. I won't judge you. Yes, yeah, so I have a good friend. Um, he set up all the stuff we write. So he works for one of the larger corporations and they, they, he does like live streams, like the senior executives, they do a live stream, do a speech, it goes all over the country, right? He pays people on his team like $30 an hour, like take everything there, right? And every day he has to correct them. <laughs> and and like they'll leave a wire on, like, like, you know, and like, and he's paying $30 an hour, but you really can't get rid of it because like it's so hard to find replacements, right? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, hiring is hard. It's, uh, it's, it's just difficult. It's just difficult. I mean, to the point where I, I talk to my mentors uh, all the time, asking them like, "How did you?" But you know what? It, you know, since, since we're touching on it, one could argue that um, it is your duty as a business owner anyway to train and to build people versus trying to find because you, you you're kind of doing the thing that you know that you say that you don't like, which is being lazy, mm -hmm. and if you're not coaching people if, if, they're, if they're steadily making the same mistakes that's on you yeah you're the leader you're not you're, there's there's a, a fault in your leadership somewhere 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 because it falls back on you it drives me crazy like here all the time where like you know a, a boss will say man jason's not working out he's not doing this right he keeps on messing up well boss have you told jason that well no I, he, he's know he's messing up so your logic says that jason's messing up he knows he's messing up but he's continuing messing up yeah but you did but you've never told him like 
You're doing it wrong, right? Yeah, he's both saying Jason is a genius and an idiot. Yeah, he's a genius because he knows that he's messing up, but he's an idiot because he's not. You know, listen, it's it's your job as as the leader to lead your team, and at the end of the day, if if you're not getting the results you want, you gotta take a look in the mirror. Uh, with that being said, it is difficult to hire. <laughs> yeah, uh, are you are you hiring right now for your company? One hundred percent. So, some of us watching this video, right, on the podcast, live stream, whatever, and like they want to work for you. What mm-hmm. would they need to do to get your attention? Or how do they how do they do that? Like, well, so how, I, how do they impress you, so to speak? That's what I'm asking. If okay, specifically, we'll get to the to the banker part second, but because I'm looking for a personal assistant. So for that, if someone reached out and like just offered, just just reach out and just 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 just, just put it out there, you know. Um, and does that have to be in the theater area? Doesn't no, they don't have to be. Okay. It's, it's preferred, but it, it's preferred. They okay. don't have to be though, okay. but they have to be willing. It has to be a market that we're in, definitely. Okay. And it has to be someone who, who's willing to travel. Okay. Because um the schedule's all over the place. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's gotta like go to California on a whim. Okay. And they have to be able to to accommodate that. Um but to be honest with you, someone who's, who's willing to take the initiative and go above and beyond, and they can do that even in our interactions. Like if we've never met, and you know I'm looking for an executive assistant, um, and you hear this, and you reached out, and you say, "Hey, I I I listened to the podcast. I saw that you were looking for this. Um, I noticed that you you tend to you know you, you deal with this certain type of people. Um, I went ahead and made a short list of potential." you know, partners or whatever. I put in this Excel file. I put the contacts there. I, I even put it into a zip file. I'm going to email it to you so that you you know where to start. Um, let me know if you're planning to travel and to meet them because I can give you, you know, travel dates. Mm-hmm. So just go above and beyond somewhere. Yeah. And like make my life easier for me because I can tell you right now, that kind of stuff, I don't even want to think about. Yeah. It's, Jason, I have a lot of my play, man. I just don't like thinking about that stuff. And then for bankers, um, the short of it, someone who's a team player but competitive and can get deals done. Okay. And can get deals done. Um, for the banker part, it's pretty straightforward because it's, it's all in the numbers. Any don't, type of banker experience they got to have, they have to like work at a certain, like a micro bank or a certain, a certain amount of money in the bank or like certain industry bank, bank or just, does that um, matter? I mean, there's a preference for certain industries over others. Like right now, if you if you're if you've only been a solo middle market um, real estate banker, uh, probably if we if there's other options. But if if you're that same banker and you're willing to learn about you know other industries, then we can move because you have the right mentality. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll we'll take someone pretty much from any industry as long as they they're in they have experience in middle market banking um cuz that can be potential access to different industries that we don't have access to how do you know someone has the right mentality right into, uh, uh. to be honest with you you um I, I don't think you ever really know but you have a, a feeling for it. for the, so for the first round interviews for the ones that I sit in on it's only 15 minutes and you'll just know if you even like each other mm-hmm. if it's you know if if it's a fit, you'd, I, in my opinion, you'd be able to tell in, in that in that first fifteen minutes. But um, I don't think you truly really know until they get into the field and you start working with each other. It's um, it's a gamble. So if your employees like, I'm, I'm assuming it's performance based. They have to close a certain number of deals in a certain number of days. Like, what metrics do you have to measure how your people are doing? Yeah. Um. So we look at it on total um, finance amount um, annualized so over the year. 
over the year. Um, I personally, I don't have a micromanaging style of leadership. That's not my thing. Uh, this is what I do. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is where you fit into that. This the, Here are the resources for you to be able to do what you do well already. Um, you let me know if you have any questions. I'm not going to be over your back. Um, let's get it done. Do you have any questions? Is, is there anywhere that I can explain further? Do you need to be coached up anywhere, you know, in particular? Um, okay. Now let's touch base outside of work stuff. So I can let me know what your plans are long-term so we can potentially help set you up to do that. Um, but outside of that, let's do it. I mean, we don't have to talk long about this. I mean, if you don't have any, if you got everything, you have any questions, I don't have any questions. I said everything. All right, let's go do it. I don't believe in long meetings. I don't, I don't either. My, my meetings are never over 15 yeah. minutes. Not one meeting is over 15 minutes, not even a phone call. It's, it's pointless. There's nothing over 15 minutes that can't be said in the first 15. Yeah, after 15 minutes, it's just bullshit about different bullshit that don't matter. Exactly. And, you know, I, I did a lot of research. Uh, I talked to my mentors a lot about it. Um, as a leader, you your job in a meeting is to get everyone on board, get everyone on the same page, um, direct them. Like, this is... Um, not as in like bark orders, but like this is the direction that we're going. Um, this is what I need from everybody. This is this is what's going to help get you there. Do you have any questions? If no, that can be done in five minutes. How you deal with this? Like you have your plan, you're laying out, and someone says, "Hey, Byron, like I think we should do the opposite." You let them like 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 break down why they have their thinking and try to convince you, or how does that work for you? No, if if they have like feedback that way, I'm, I'm listening to them. Then then I'm a I'm a, I'm a bounce it off everyone in that meeting. I, I believe I have a lot of people in the meetings as well, but I'm a bounce it off. We get the uh, I forgot to, to to mention that part. Get feedback from everyone involved, and it's not my job to be the smartest person in the room. It's it's, it's my job to uh is to get the smartest people in the room, get their opinions, weigh all the pros and cons, and pick the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I would approach that. Okay. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, I, I welcome that kind of feedback. I need it. So next question. Uh, of course, don't give me the details, but have you had to, had to let anyone go yet? Like get rid of them, so to speak? Yes. Can you talk about the, your process with that, how that works? Without giving too much details, of course. Hey, man, it's just not working out. I mean, you're not all the way in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, I didn't invest all the way in you, that which led you to pull back. You, you know, like the weird thing you do when you did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, hey, maybe I didn't, I didn't invest in you the way that you were looking for. Maybe, maybe it just wasn't a good fit, or you just wasn't. You, you were never going to be all the way in. Either, either way, I mean, okay. we both know it's not Trying really quick and easy. Yeah, that way yeah. Goes it's, it's, it's not like a crazy thing. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Someone I heard this yesterday. A friend of mine told me this. Like, it was like, um, or how do you say? I'm gonna let you go so you can. Um, what did he say? Um, so you can find excellence elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, so you can find excellence elsewhere. I, I really like that. And um, I think people this, this wasn't a big thing, though. I think people get you know, fired wrong. They try to make, of course, it's a negative. Or what you, I mean, but you can't say you're fired because it's real. You got to make it a positive. Like, you know, like you have better, you, I, I'm letting you go have a better opportunity somewhere else, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's true. Um, no, nah, it hasn't been a thing so far, okay. to be honest with you. I mean, but it will be. But I would approach it the same way, though. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't think it's personal. It's just we weren't what you were looking for, and yeah. vice versa. And so far, I'm guessing you've, you've personally hired everyone that worked for you so far. Yeah. So once you get bigger, oh, no, 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 sorry, yeah. no. Um, for the uh, for for the VPs, yes. Okay. Yeah, but um, no, I, I give my my my, my team um, 
discretion to 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 make those decisions on who's going to be in their teams. Um, I'll just they'll give me the, their input. Mm-hmm. They, they'll tell me what they think, and um, I I tell them all the same. I mean, if you feel strongly about it, I sign off on it. Okay. I, I I trust you. I mean, you're here for a reason. So, having said that, how do you make sure that your culture stays like it is? Like, with, with you not being a person to hire everyone. I think a lot of companies that grow have a problem like keeping the culture and the values because. You know, the more it gets away from you, you know, the more the culture changes. Yeah, it goes back to to my job. I mean, that's my job is, is to repeat the same stuff mm-hmm. with, with my team. Um, Jason, you just have to keep repeating the same stuff. That's yeah. it. You get every. I mean, every time I talk to uh, the VPs, I'm I'm constantly repeating the same stuff, the same stuff. And then whenever we have like everyone, I just keep repeating the same stuff to the point that like they think it's cultic, mm-hmm. it, it, but that's what you kind of have to do. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, there, there are tactics too, like in the actual, like nuances of carrying out like the business, but I, I you know, I, I can get you all the good stuff, but yeah. there, there are things in place to, to keep a streamlined culture and it's not perfect. What I'm learning is that none of this is, you kind of figure it out. I'm guessing all your people like all over the United States, right? Yeah. Okay. Do, um, so the, the, the way we split up the company right now is, um, between the East and West Coast, essentially. And and they're sharing in Texas. Um, so yeah, we have people in Texas, Washington, California now, New York, et cetera. Are there certain cities you focus on? Yes. Um, in what state? In any state. Um, yes. So uh, the Seattle market, New York, New York, um, uh, now Silicon Valley, that's not city, but you know, the, the general area. But in Texas, um, no, because it's too big of a market. So we're, we're looking at Dallas, Austin, and Houston in Texas. Is there such thing as a perfect customer for your business? No, not, not in this line of work. Okay. No, nah. it's uh, every day is messy. Every single one. I mean, I, the, the more perfect ones just have all their, their books already clean, you know, so it wouldn't take a long time. When you talk, to, when you talk to a potential client, how quickly does it take to realize, okay, I can do business with them or I need to get rid of this. I can't do business with them at all. You, 10 minutes. If there, I mean, if there was a guy I talked to two days ago, he was a, he's a fun, he was an asset manager uh, in Texas, complete asshole. And um, just knew in the first like five minutes, it wasn't, this is not a good fit. It's not going to work. And, and that made him mad, of course. But you, you kind of know. I mean, I, it's funny we're having this conversation because I told my team this today. If the client is an ass to you, we're not going to work with them. I'm not going to sign off on that client because it's going to it's gonna put you in this position and like you feel like you have to continuously like, I don't even want to put them, I want to empower my people. So don't, we just don't deal with asshole clients. That doesn't mean, you know, stuff can't get real sometimes. Mm-hmm. It does get, we're dealing with big money. It gets real. It, it gets, it gets seriously real. And, and the ramifications of things going wrong is serious. I don't take that lightly. But if they're just a genuine asshole with no intention on like being any kind of malleable to work with, let them go. We, we won't even take it on. Can you run through like, of course, not all the details. Can you run through schematics of how a process of the deal works, like beginning to end, like all the everything that's involved in it? Like, um, a, like a, I guess I, like a dummies one on one for deal making, I guess. It's hard to answer that carte blanche because every deal is different. But essentially, it's a company, preferably a middle market company, that need financing. Let's say they need. Um, over- and, and middle market is like between hundred million dollars the revenue, or actually. 
it's a it depends on what the industry is not not even industry but it it it's a moving there aren't hard numbers for middle market some people consider it like five to two hundred uh million in revenue some consider it one to a hundred it is it's kind of somewhere in that in that range um but we work with small to middle market sorry um but let's say they needed um uh a credit line like a had ten million dollar credit line. Um, we would talk to them, kind of. We, we would assess their their balance sheet and P and Ls, um, see who they bank with, current as far as who they hold their deposits with. What do they need the money for? How long they've been in business? Uh, what's their personal situation looking like? What's the ownership of the company, etc. Um, and then from there, um, we'll underwrite the deal for them so they'll know like this is what this will look like. Um, this is what you'll probably have to secure it against. This is what the interest rates will, will, will come in at. This is these are the specific terms of the because we're just talking kind of top level of the of the deal. These are the specific terms. This is when it has to revolve. This is uh this is the reset period. This is if you don't do X in this you know period of time, you're going to accrue this much. And if you default, you you can put in X in place so that it doesn't actually compound. It can just convert to uh, a note or into some form of equity, et cetera. We'll get into the actual details of the term. Um, and if they if they like it, then what we'll do is package all that up, um, which is, I'm fast forwarding it, but we'll package all that up um, and then bring it to the right place. And that right place could be a PE fund, a hedge fund, um, insurance company, bank, et cetera. And you're doing this, are they also offering these deals to like your competitors, so to speak, and you have to compete with other people for these deals? And if you are like, you're like, okay, in order to close the deal, I'll lower the interest rate, or I'll do this, I'll do that. Is there any of that stuff going on? Our competitors, you ask? Yeah. Um, like close those, you're coming at through the, you're, you're coming through the companies are trying to do it, close the deal for this one industry, right? Well, no, no, no. Well, if, if that happened, we were partnering on it. Um, I doubt that. Because, I mean, we, we, we try to retain it up front. So I doubt that they're going to do that with multiple places at once. And um, what makes us, what makes an investment bank um, in particular, like more, uh, what makes it interesting is that, I mean, when you talk to us, you're talking to everybody. So there's no need for that. I mean, you, you're when you talk to us, you're talking to the market. Mm-hmm. If, if we cannot get a deal done, it's because the deal cannot get done. Um, and that's that's not just for credit loans, by the way. That's for everything. I mean, that's for equity, um, mezzanine loans, term loans, credit loans, of course, acquisition loans. We are the company finance people. If you need money, you give us a call. And at least can you reach out to you or your business development person finding these deals for you? Um, it's a combination of kind of everything. Um, he's doing that, but that's for like undisclosed, um, undisclosed deals f- with, with governments, actually. He, he, he's doing international work for us. Um, but actually, to be honest with you right now, most of the deals are, uh, are, are finding their way to us. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's not because we're just like, could we have some special sauce? It's just, we sell money. So it's easy to get it out there. Can you talk about a deal that you closed since you started coming that you're really proud of? Um, I can talk about one that is about to close. Um, um, Cause I'm most proud of that. Um, actually, no, it's, it's not about NDA. Most of our deals are, by the way. Um, 
I can I talk about it loosely. Mm-hmm. There, there is a uh, yes. There's a company in Texas that's a, a energy based company that needed a pretty sizable credit line, and um, they are they have been unprofitable up until recent, and then they want to take advantage of it. And um, what I like about this deal is that it's pretty much unbankable from a traditional bank. They can't they they can't get a loan from a bank because banks they have a, a banks have really even the more risky ones they have a really tight box. Banks are very conservative, and if you don't fit into it, then you just can't get the deal done. And I'm proud about that one because I have nothing against the energy uh, industry. I, I recognize that it's important for America. I, I wish we had more energy companies here. To be quite frank with you, um, and the fact that they were unprofitable up until recent. It made it, we kind of had to roll our sleeves up mm-hmm. to, to get it done. Um, it, and it was a pretty sizable amount too. So um, th- that's the most recent one that I would say that I'm proud of. Cause it was just hard to do. It was, it was hard to do mix, mix the difficulty of it. And then the fact that it was in that industry, it was the first first client that, that I've had personally in that industry. Is there an industry that you not want to work with? Like you don't, you say, I, I don't work with this industry. No, I'm not in love with real estate, but I'm, I'm, I mean, of course, we still take it on clients, but um, I don't think so. Because even if it's one like for the ones that we have who haven't had a strong footprint in yet, um, it's still interesting. Like, uh, I'm more intrigued by the line of work, to be honest with you. There hasn't been anything. I don't know any industries right now as I talk to you that I'm like just completely okay. Just I just want to avoid it. You know, don't even touch with a six foot pole. Not, not that I can think of. Yeah. So back to Second Island Valley Bank, the two bank pairs and, you know, all we recession, not recession. What's your crystal ball of the economy for the rest of 2023? <laughs> um, for the economy? Yeah. Or <laughs> I'd say this, man. Um, if you are uh, an investor with dry powder, you, you are. Um, how about this? I'll say this. Cause I don't know if I can if I can give my opinion. Uh, I, I don't know if I can give my qualified opinion because because I'm a banker. But um, my company, we are particularly positioned to take advantage of what I foresee coming. Um, we're getting really aggressive for a reason, and it's because um, from what I think is going to happen, I, I don't think a lot of people will be aggressive. I think a lot of people are going to pull back you know, kind of go into their shells. And um, I think this is, I'm almost, I'm almost speaking verbatim from my conversation earlier with the team, but I think we're about to walk into a golden era of um, opportunity. I think uh, I'm, I'm really, really excited about how my, how my firm can position itself to be able to take care of um, our clients because of what's uh, from, from what we foresee is to come. If, I mean, we've seen two bank failures, I think three actually, um, that we know of, and it may be more, um, that can easily be 10, easily. I can easily be 10, like overnight, I could be 10. And there's gonna be a stronger need for money uh, that companies will need. And um, we are, we're just positioned to take advantage of it. Not only are we positioned to do that, because we, we don't just work with those kind of companies. We're also positioned to help the funds that lend to these companies, because we work with them too. We help we help them get their money as well. Um, a lot of people don't know about that though. And um, it's we're just well positioned on all fronts, I, I would say, because um, 
we haven't seen anything yet. That is being honest. The next question. So your company's doing very well right now, 100% growth. But, you know, things can turn on a dime. In your mind, what would make your company fail? I don't know if I can answer that out loud, but first let me say this. I wouldn't say that we're doing really well because we, if we're doing really well, we're like operating like 5% right now. We're leaving a lot of room on the table and which is a good thing because we have a lot of room to go. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of my team. The, I mean, these people, like, they're killing it. They're absolutely killing it. I'm lucky to, to have these people on our team. But we can be doing a lot more, though, for sure, 100%. Um, how do we die? Just not being able to serve our clients, to be honest with you. I, I know that's, like, so, like, that's, like, almost a nothing burger, but that's how we die. Because we'll get a client that has needs and we can't serve it. If we cannot find or put together structure, et cetera, uh, like money for our clients, um, we are. There's no. We we shouldn't even exist. I mean, that's what we do. Um, but I just don't see that happening, though. I mean, everything that we've been doing, we're well positioned to be able to do that and more. I mean, we have a goal of no matter what the client is, no matter what the situation is, as long as it meets a certain threshold, we can get them financing. Every single client. It doesn't mean they're going to love, you know, every, every every term that's in front of them, you know. But we can get every single client some kind of finance. That, that's our goal. Um, and everything that we've been doing internally is uh, has been aligned with that. And I just don't see us dying, to be honest with you. Actually, I see us expanding even more. So you talk about the great things your, your people do. Can you talk about something someone recently did? Like, like man, this person like really went above and beyond. Yes. And, like, really, like, did something great. Yes, this morning. Um I can't, I can't go on specifics of, you know, of course, but um, one of uh, one person in the team took advantage of a meeting because we, this morning we had a lot of meetings and this one that he, that he ran was a, it was a big meeting. We talked about it last night. Then we touched on it this morning. This is on the East coast too. So like by the time I woke up, they're already about to go into the meeting and um, he ran that. Like he, he did it. Like we had a plan, he went in, he delivered it and just took charge of it. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. That, 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 cause that now, and, I, and these conversations that I had with him, both, um, with actually everyone in the company, I'm like, that right there was awesome. That, that helps me sleep at night. Cause now I can look at the, the general landscape of what's, you know, cause we're in a, we're going through a crisis right now as, as, as I talk to you. And um, knowing that that he can 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 handle meetings like that is such a weight off my shoulder, because I don't have to sit in on all the meetings anymore. Now I, I know like this guy can run that. Now I can give him this. He can I can give him that and not to think about. It. We just talk. We talk over the plans, and he got it. No follow up questions. He got it. He he can run it. He can manage people too, because he has people under him. He 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 has that. He can he can take on pressure and deliver. And that happened just this morning. Yeah, people like that are so invaluable to you. Like, Jason, well, you have no idea. It's uh, it's everything. Because I have to think about everything. And if and the less things I get to think about, it's better for me. So it's, 
<sighs> I'm lucky. So next, let's suppose you're asked to like to talk to a bunch of night girders, right? And you, you and then when you talk about you know, what skills they need in the future, what they need to learn, what would you tell these ninth graders? Being able to handle pressure. In my in my opinion, that's number one. Um, that's number one. And number two, um, the number one skill. Actually, no. Forget pressure. Number one skill, you need to have the skill of thinking big. Um, I think I think I think the conversation should start in there. You need to be able to think big. You need to think past everyone to your left and right. You need to think bigger than me. You need to think bigger than everybody. And and stay there. Like live in the clouds and never come down. Um because think about it. Ever from, from ninth grade on, you get told things you can't do from your teachers, parents, friends, everything. That's for other people. That's for, you know, rich people, the one percent, yeah. whatever. No one from this neighborhood ever did that, you know, or stuff like that. Or yeah. Be be realistic, you know, your father's a janitor, you'll be nothing more than a janitor. Yeah, they use the R word, realistic. You know, that be realistic. To me, that's be a four-letter word. <laughs> what do you think though for the ninth grader? I would say, um, Public speaking and do some kind of sales. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, public speaking, like you gotta be able to get in front of people and defend something, right? Yeah. Even for a job interview, you have public speaking skills, you know, and like and and be able to sell stuff, you know. People yeah. are so underrated. Yeah, yeah. it's um, you can change your life with a good sales position. Yes, you can. In in fact, one I would suggest more uh, track athletes to start running track and pick up a sales job. <laughs> Seriously. If, if I can go back, I probably wouldn't have ran um, professionally. I would have went to Olympics. I wouldn't have picked up a sales job. I mean, because it has to be specific to me, right? But uh, I would have done something similar. I would have, I would have done this sooner, for sure. I think more track people should do that specifically. Yeah. Um, can I talk about an idea that I've been, I've been toying with? No. I can't? Yeah, yeah, you can. Okay, yeah. I'm going to say, please. Um, I'm thinking about for Olympic athletes of starting a fun to um, basically subsidize um, their living, or well, you know, not all of it, but mm. give them some kind of stipend for the first year out of college, mm. so they can further career and track. Mm. Um, I think I can pull together about ten million for that yeah. from our sources, um, and then. Um, but I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I probably shouldn't say it on air, but it, it is something I'm thinking about. Though. Okay, what does that sound like? It, it, it sound like it's ten million. Ten million dollars enough. Had to start somewhere. So that okay. that ten million would be a pilot. And would be like I guess. This one, maybe one specific college at first, I'm guessing. Um, or maybe one specific like race. No, 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 no. With 10 mil, you can you can cover a few sports with 10 mil. Mm -hmm. um, like these have to be qualified athletes like coming mm -hmm. out of school that has, yeah. has a chance. So there needs to be an objective standard for them to hit. But um, I think for track swimming, anything related, volleyball, that kind of stuff, there's something that's needed like that that's I don't think it's currently out there. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Can you talk about how you make money? How I make money? Yeah. Like, is it like a certain, like you see an upfront fee or like you get charged with interest rates? Like how, how do you make your money? Um, it depends on the type of deal. Some, some deals we make it over the lifetime of the actual loan. Um, some it's just purely off of the um, it's, um, a so the percentage of the, of the size of the transaction. Um, but we work so like, okay, okay, I can't give names and stuff, you know, be specific, but like working on a deal right now where 
we are actually foregoing the the, the upfront fee, the the closing fee, and we are going to be the exclusive uh, broker of record for that fund. Mm. So we'll, we're going to get them from. I mean, okay, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't say the exact amount, but we're going to get them over fifty million. I'll okay. put it that way. And then for all the deals that they do. Um, from that fund, because this is a fund client, from all the deals they do from that fund to, you know, whoever their client mm -hmm. is, will be the exclusive broker on record, and then we'll make it up on the back end. Okay. So every um, every deal is different, but the majority of them is an upfront fee um, with the rest due at close. What happens if you get like a, a client alone and they default? Are you responsible for the loan or how does that work? What, no. what, what kind of risk do you have with that when that happens? No whatsoever. Okay. I mean, it's a bad look for us because we we put together a deal with a client that didn't perform. But that that's um I mean, that's outside of our control and things happen. What mm -hmm. were the reasons that they, you know, default? I mean, mm -hmm. they, anything that was it COVID? You know, it um but no, we're we're not we're not personally liable for that. No, no. We're intermediaries. All right. Honest brokers. So right now what what uh, what do you do for fun? Um, if I said work, you know, that, that made me seem like that guy, but, um, the, the art and the chess and stuff. Okay. Um, and I do go to a lot of parks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not gonna say a park cause I want people to go to park. Um, and I, I work out every day. Okay. I mean, that, that's like how I really unwind. Um, are you, love, are you like the first in the morning workout guy or middle of the day or does it really matter? Or do you can find both, time? Both. Okay. Some days I do. Like first thing in the morning and then in the middle of the day, mm -hmm. um, but what I'm lucky, I'm blessed to be able to say whenever I want. I mean, I can go work out whenever I want. That, that's one good thing about being an entrepreneur. Like you know, like you can like, like after this podcast, we need to go have a beer if you want to, right? Mm -hmm. But then again, the cost is probably working later tonight to catch up on the time we missed. You yeah, know, drinking the beer, you know. Yeah, you 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 set. In fact, it's it's awesome being an entrepreneur. So I mean, I do. Um, the five critical tasks that I learned from Andy, Andy Priscilla. So that's how I set my day up. I just I just do five things that's work, that's work related that's going to advance everything forward. After that, I'm just playing coach or like taking care of emergencies, which happen every day. But um, just you know doing that kind of stuff. But um, but that's how I set my day up off of you know what did I get done, not how how long did I work today. Now, some days that means like. <laughs> from the from the crack of dawn to you know past midnight, but uh, it doesn't even feel like work to be honest. Because it's just I don't do the same thing every day. Every day is different. Yeah. You know, every only thing that's like consistent are are the meetings, the, these fifteen minute meetings, like Mondays and Wednesdays. Outside of that, every everything after that is completely different. So how do you know, like when you, you want to be an entrepreneur? Like, and specifically in the banking or finance industry, when did that click for you? I knew that um, I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid. Um, I was in middle school, high school selling candy. I mean, that's, I didn't think about it. It wasn't like, I'm doing this because I want to be an entrepreneur. It was, I need money. I have $2. These air, this pack of eight airheads costs $1.25. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy them and sell them each for twenty five cents. If they want more than three at a time, it's three four dollar, and just built it up that way. So it wasn't like I want to be an entrepreneur. It was I have ideas. You know I, I know how to arbitrage something and make money. I, I understand that there's a um, 
uh, a time value to um, convenience. So like if you're selling candy in school, you can charge more than if you were at Walmart. Because when you're at school, it's harder to get harder to get food. So you can take advantage of it. You can arbitrage that. Um, but specifically for the investment space, I knew that um, ever since I was like a junior in high school, I want to be like an investor somewhere. Uh, I just always, I just always knew it. What advice you have someone who's out there like they're not I'm not sure yet, but they have this idea. They're, they're playing around with the idea. They know they want to do some entrepreneurship. What advice you have for them? They want to do something entrepreneurship. Yeah, they've they've had an idea. They have no idea what to do. Like, oh, it's not for that's. If that's where you're at, then don't do anything because okay. you shouldn't want to. You shouldn't want to do an idea because you want to be an entrepreneur. Mm. You should. Um, it should be the other way around. Like you, you, you want to you you want to solve a problem. You should start it. You, you want to solve a problem, um, and if you let's leave the e word out of it because okay. like it, it's so like muddy now. Everyone wants to say they're one mm. and they're not. Like you're not an entrepreneur. You just you have a side gig. You you have a you have a Fiverr account. You're not you're not an entrepreneur. You're not really taking any risks or like paying people or you know anything like that. You're not putting it out there on the mm-hmm. line. You know you're not doing that stuff. Yeah. You just you just don't like your job really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, you should be focused on solving a problem. In my opinion, I'm, I'm no expert. You should be focused on solving a problem. Um, and if you don't have a problem to solve. If you're in it for the money, then entrepreneurship isn't for you. Because to be quite honest with you, when you first start, there is no money. In fact, you're going to be in a negative. Yeah. You're going to be spending money and not making any. And it's it's funny because you, you're in it only to make money. So you're going to quit. That's why so many people quit. Because they, they didn't, they weren't solving a the problem. They were just trying to make money. Um, and by the way, most people, most people are better off being entrepreneurs than entrepreneurs. Um, as they should be. Who wants to take on all that risk? You know how stressful it is to be an entrepreneur? I often say, like, you often, like, you, like, we need mental health checkups or, you know, a, a craziness checkup if, if you want to be an entrepreneur, right? Because you, you can't be, like, a perfectly sane people, a person, I think, to be an entrepreneur. Jason, I, I wish you knew how, I agree. I wish you knew how often I almost have panic attacks, man. It's, uh, well, that's why I have to, like, break, go work out. Unwind. Because, um, it's so stressful, it's not even funny. It's, um, it's just not for everybody. You have to be able to deal with everything all at once. Everything. You have to be able to have a clear mind with everything going on, make very critical decisions that, that are dire, like do or die. If I make the wrong decision, we're out of business, you know, that kind of stuff. And now you're out of business. Those people you hired, their family depend on their paycheck. So then you, you put all these people out of, out of their homes potentially, but it's a, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not something that people think about when they first get into it because they just want to make money. They don't think they don't realize that okay, if you're starting a company and you're leading people, you should be focused on leading people. By the way, um, but if you're leading people, you have to make decisions with literally their kids in mind. Yeah, literally, literally their kids in mind. And that's why, like you said, if the CEO, you have to be the number one salesperson, right? Because you have mm-hmm. to bring in the business. Yes, and then yes, and then you have to sell. You have to sell your people too. Um, you work for them, so. You have to convince them why they should submit their future, you know, car decisions, college decisions, um, everything, everything, like just everything. They have to believe in you that much to be able to to to, to rock with you. And um, if you actually care, if you're a human and you actually care about your people, that's a lot to take on. Yeah. It's, it's an honor to take yeah, it most on. Most people can't handle that pressure, to be honest. 
That's why most people are entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, and that's why I would never, um, even at least publicly, I, I would never like shame another, same way like for an after, I would never mm -hmm. shame another entrepreneur because mm -hmm. I understand like, I don't have to talk to them to know like they're, they're under the gun. Mm -hmm. Like they are under the gun. It's everything's high pressure. I don't even look at my phone right now because I have it on Do Not Disturb. I know once I pick it up, yeah. it's it's gonna be more fire set, you know. But that's the life, though. I, I like living life on the edge like that. It's <laughs> it gives me joy. I don't know why. It, yeah, I love it. I, I don't know why. So besides working out, what else other ways you take care of yourself? Um, you can make the case I don't take care of myself. Um, when people ask me a question, I say I suck at it. Is my answer usually, you know, even though I try to get better. Everyone at it. likes you though. Yeah. Everyone like you could just pick up the phone and call people. Yeah. Um, how do I take care of myself? I I, I don't know if I do, man. I, I really don't know if I do. I mean, I'm so locked in. I'm always thinking about like what's going on in the world and like the company and stuff that like it just consumes everything. Like, there's never there isn't a second to go by where. We spend the majority of the time talking about it. Like it's all I think about. Yeah. Um, I don't really spend a lot of time outside of that. I mean, I work out, do the art, play chess. Uh, I do. I, I do love to read and write poetry as well. I love to read in general. I, um, I read fifty books a year, probably. Um, that's kind of it, though. Okay, that's kind of it. What's your long term vision for your company? Um, yes, we we are going to be a billion dollar company. Um, that can solve any financial solution uh, for a small to middle market company. Nice. And then, well, you already answered this uh, pretty much in the interview, but can you go more details about your company, like how it got started, like what do you focus on now? Yeah, started as a, um, a commercial real estate brokerage, um, well, loan brokerage, that, that's how it started. Um, it was as simple as just calling as many banks and credit unions and private lenders, understanding what they needed or what they were looking for, um, for, for their loans. And that's, that's how I realized that every bank credit union and different and private lenders were different before that I thought every, every bank was kind of the same. Um, so I found out what they were looking for. Then I'll, I'll, um, talk to, I'll reach out to as many people as I possibly could, went to every networking event, did all the stuff. I mean, this was like, ground floor like from day one and um kind of told them what i did it was just focused on real estate then i so early on i noticed that um even for real estate clients that there was the commercial mortgage and then there's the business that needed financing as well then got into business financing and then fell in love with that part higher margins too by the way for i mean just to be honest with you and um so now we're in a space where we, we, we do primarily business. And then, then we branch into different industries in, in business from there, but I'm fast forwarding. Um, so now it's primarily, I'll say 80% of our book is business, the rest being real estate. Um, but that's how I got started though. And, and that's on top of like reading as much as I possibly could on the topic. I mean, really reading it, really reading it. So what are you doing? You have to have some kind of certification, come with a license, or can anyone just start a company? Um, and doing what you're doing. If if you are um if you if you if you are dealing in securities, you you need to have a serious license. But we don't we don't deal in securities. If you're doing um just the um the loan part, if you are in California, I believe uh, uh, I forgot. But if if you're doing that and you're lending, which we don't do, and you're lending, then you have to be licensed for it. 
Um, but but specifically for what we do, there's no license required because um, we don't lend from our own balance sheet and uh, we, we don't deal anything with securities. Okay. Um, so next, so you want to be a billion dollar company. We're going to be a billion dollar company. We're a billion dollar company. We become a billion dollar company. Who will your competitors be at that level? You want me to say that out loud? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would definitely be the Goldman Sachs of the world. Okay. And JP Morgan's. Uh, uh, well, I guess you already have like a path, like your, your, your vision board, showing how you're going to go to each step and get there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. In the future, I mean, I definitely want, I have to change what's in front of me, you know? Um, I mean, I never, I didn't imagine us being able to work with the actual lenders that we broker from as well. On, on for their financing for their funds. I never even imagined that up until recently. So it's an opportunity that, that just brought itself and we had to just change with it. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely a path. I mean, I can see us getting into wealth management probably be through acquisition most likely. Um, and to be honest with you, probably most, if not all different lines of um, uh, finance business. Um, okay. Uh, the, the plans to be a full-fledged um, bullish bracket investment bank. And do you prefer, like, I, I guess that allows like to hit singles over and over or, or, or hit home runs or a combination of both? I prefer to hit a bunch of singles first. Okay. Because um, you got to keep the lights on. Now, whenever we get that homer, you take advantage of it. But the, the plan is, is, the plan has been to do a bunch of singles then a bunch of doubles. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, throughout all that, when and that, that, when that, when that homer comes, you still never, take advantage But you never know that single might turn right inside the park home run, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though. No, you, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, and don't get me wrong. We do have the home runs. Mm -hmm. We do have it. But um, we're not we're not a firm that banks on it, though. No pun intended. Because it just, there's, uh, there's a lot of nuances we we'll have to get into. But, like, it takes a lot of time and trust. Um, and you can't fast forward that part. Um, to get that home run type of client. But in the, in, the, in the intermediate though, singles and doubles for sure. And it would build a, a reputation from there. Think talk about this, like an entrepreneur, like not even day to day, but sometimes hour to hour, one hour, like, man, I'm crushing it. Next hour, man, it's crushing me. Like, how do you deal with the up and downs, the emotional roller coaster, so to speak? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's a real thing. So, like yesterday, killed it up until like the last hour and then kind of just... Um, you know, on the days that are like particularly more difficult than others, I kind of laugh because I'm I'm fortunate to to come from the sport world where like that just comes with it. Some days you're on, some days you're not. Some days you're kind of in between. Some days you you know you're better in this area. You know, it's it's kind of all over the place. And I learned that skill from track, so now I can just carry over into business. Like, what I want is a functional, like trending average. That's what I want. I don't want one day to be, you know, Superman the next day to be depressed. I don't want that. That, that I can't deal with. Um, now, I do understand, it's, you know, there's going to be variance, but as long as that average is trending upwards, I'm good with it. But whenever I'm feeling down specifically, though, I just laugh because mm -hmm. I know it's part of it. Mm -hmm. This is what it is. Like, this is just what it is. I mean, I started a business when I was sleeping on the couch. I was just laughing about it because I'm confident in where this is going to get to. It's not where I'm at right now, you know, and I appreciate the journey again, because I, I experienced it with track and you have to, that's another reason why I say a lot of people aren't entrepreneurs because they're not willing to, to go through the sleep on the couch days. Mm -hmm. They want a Lambo next week. Yeah. And, um, 
it's just not going to come. But um, I'm expecting, I expect everything to go wrong anyway. That whenever something like it's just not perfect, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm. It's like, oh, it, it could have been worse. Yeah, I saw this on TV one time where Tom Hanks was talking to a different bunch of actors. He was talking about how he lives his life. He was like, you know, like a lot of times, like stuff doesn't do good. I'm no, I, I didn't get a role. Something's going bad. I think this shall pass, right? And he also says, yeah. on the first hand, like when things are going great, this also shall pass, right? Yeah. So you got to think, no matter how good it's going to get or how bad it is, it's not going to stay the same. He is a stoic. Um, I think that was wiser than he even uh, realized when he may have said that. But um, but no, you kind of have to play it that way because I mean, you can't you can't start believing your own hype. Because you're gonna get humbled. It's gonna happen. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, often I say to myself, I, I've said this a lot too, like, believe in yourself, and even when you don't believe in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you gotta have belief. And even, even like, you're like, man, I can't do this. What I'm doing, they're like, oh no, actually, you can't do it, right? You, you know, whenever I'm lacking confidence, I listen, uh, I'm extreme. I listen to the speech that Alexander the Great gave um, to his people after they had conquered. Uh, they were on the precipice of, of going towards Russia. And this is after they had left Greece all the way for past the hell spot. And I mean. This is by, there's not no armored cars, no boats, no ships. It's like, this all foot power back foot then. Foot and horses. Yeah. And um, I mean, we're not gonna touch on that campaign because it was incredible. And that's books, volumes of books have been written on how great that was. but. I have I have the speech on my phone of the speech he gave to his men when they didn't want to go any further, when he needed them the most. And um, I mean, the balls on this guy. He he was a, a kid then. He was like, I think he was 27, actually. Um, around there, 27, 20, 26. And um, it's so inspiring. And it, it basically, I mean, you can you you can you can draw to a lot of downfalls of his leadership because he was temperamental, you know, et cetera, child, whatever. Um, but the guy had balls. And in this speech, he basically is telling them, like, this is what I have done for you. This is how you're acting towards me. You need to get it together. You either you get it together or you can go back home and tell your wives that you quit on your country. And I mean, that shit was hard, man. Yeah. You should listen to it. It's I'll send it to you afterwards. Yeah, send it to me. It's um, it's incredible. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's incredible. It makes. I like to think that I'm a you know that, that I, I get after it. Yeah. But every time I listen to it, I'm like, damn. I mean, he did that, <laughs> and I'm just doing the small stuff. Like, I I can go harder. Yeah, he gotta conquer the world at 27, pretty he much. He almost did. He almost he almost conquered the known world. He almost did. He almost did. Do you know that story, by the way? I don't know. He died under very mysterious circumstances. No yeah. one. I know he died like 32, 33. He, like yeah, he, young. he died at 32, but no one knows the, the exact cause. It's believed that he got poisoned from mm -hmm. someone in his team, from his camp. And um, he has an incredible campaign. Um, who's who's the leader of the Mongols? Uh, uh, Genghis Khan? Genghis Khan. Yeah. yeah. So I was talking to a guy in the gym yesterday about this. Great guy, by the way. We'll get to that another time. But um. Um, I'm, I'm gonna start doing more research on Genghis Khan now, because he told me that like he was up there with Alexander the Great. Now I looked at it. Um, I actually used ChatGPT to to get some quick facts to compare and contrast them. And um, from what I understand, he lived to be older. He was more calculated. Um, but um, the 
one of the biggest difference between the two was that Alexander was um was brash and uh just hyper aggressive. Not to say the Mongols weren't, but they uh they were more culture driven. Now they had a culture of savages. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. They were savages. They were they were brutal savages. But it was more um streamlined through their culture. Whereas with Alexander the Great, they with Alexander the Great, they he he spent so much time like it was like a hyper growth model. They were just taking over everything. He was like the startup mode pretty yeah. much all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were just taking over. They were just they would, they would show up at your front door. E- either either you you can see defeat on the spot, or we're going to kill everybody. Yeah. And 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 um and, and burn your land like in the wake of it. Um, it's I don't know. It's I'm gonna send you that speech later. Yeah, it's incredible. I think another difference, probably too, is like I don't think there's really any known descendants of Alexander the Great. Where suppose you get his cons, like one of every ten people in the world is like from him, some kind of way, you know. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I always been real big in that Roman history, like how that played out. I always make plan, big plan of that, right? How like you know they conquered the world and all the infighting, you know, had all these sometimes had bad emperors, some good emperors, you know. Yeah. There's a book on that. Um, I think it's called "The Fall of Nations" or something along those lines. Um, it's, it touches on it touches on almost every. Yeah, you talking empire. about uh, the f- uh, fate of nations, or I think no, the fate of about, empires. Or yeah, there's a, there's a book about Roman history. It's like a the rise and fall of Roman history by Gavin. I think no, it's not. It's not that one. Okay, this one it it talks about um, a bunch of different civilizations over the years mm-hmm. and the cycles that they go through whenever. Kind of start as bandits. You take over. You, you know, you become a strong nation. Mm-hmm. Then you become so strong that your people become weak. Mm-hmm. Then you, you start to end fighting. Then, yeah. then you know that that cycle. Yeah. When I read this book, I didn't realize that so many. This example has played out so many times yeah. over history. Yeah. But um, what made me think of that was the Roman one. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happened. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's so it, it's so um common with what we're seeing today. It's like it's almost like we're wrong. Yeah. Almost down to a T from the fiscal policy to the politicians, to yeah. culture, literally everything to yeah. the focus on um, the hyper focus on sports. Yeah. It, that's where the bread and circus phrase yeah. came from. Um, everything. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy how compared with all the Roman empire, you know, can I speak to that bread and circus yeah. by the way? Um, yeah. I talk about this with my best friend a lot. Um, it blows my mind that like, because you know, I was in business mode. I'm thinking about how to how to lead these people. I'm getting to new markets. What, what makes them tick? How can I help them? What can I do? You know that kind of stuff. Then then, then you, you take that. You extract it to like macro themes, like what's going on in the world. Um, you, you know, just just serious stuff going on in the world right now, and it occupies my mind every day, all hours of the day, every day. And it blows my mind that I talk to someone and like. Their level of thinking isn't past like a new Starbucks coffee. And it's like, they'll call you intense. I'm not saying I'm not, but they'll call you that as if like something's wrong with you. When you're just in the actual world and you know, like you're focused on real things and they just, they care about Fortnite, a Starbucks coffee, the Cowboys game, and like um, uh, a Meg The Stallion concert. Or a Drake tour, or, or or whatever you fill in the blank, whatever, whatever the gossip thing is, and it blows my mind, man. It blows. I feel like I'm the crazy one. I feel like I'm in the Matrix sometimes. I'm talking to people; they're not even concerned with anything past like whatever's arm left to them. It's 
I'm like, what in the world? Do you see this at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely, no. I mean, like back in the Roman history times, like, you know, the empire, empire, emperor, you know, like, get green that all the people are set up, right? Because mm-hmm. that's like, as long as you keep them fed and entertained, fed with green and entertained with gladiator fights, we get everybody wants to, you know? The same to, thing goes to today. To the point that they'll actually, they'll fight amongst each other about the entertainment that they're, you know, mm-hmm. spectating. And they don't even give a damn about, you know, who their senator is. Mm-hmm. The senator is. How many people can't even name their their city councilman or senator or you know school board attendant or like you know where the case may be, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, you give them the alcohol and some entertainment, and yeah, you can have that knife. You can take the knife from behind you to out front. They don't even notice it because they're not even looking. They're not paying attention. Yeah, it's um, it's depressing, but that's why business isn't competitive right now. And for the competitive people, the aggressive people on offense, you just get ahead. Yeah, I hope younger people are listening to because they if they took this time right now to get off Instagram and TikTok and just focus on something, build it up. World is yours. Yeah. And it's a shame, like, you know, even the presidential election, like most Americans don't even vote on that. And then even less voting, like, you know, matter to me, the election that really matter, like, you know, state representative, city councilman, you know, local election, you know, because you think about it, the run of the president, you know, like, it does affect you, yeah, but you know the it, president it, is so macro. Your that local city council probably matters even more, you know. Yeah, the president is so macro. People will they'll fuss and fight about macro stuff, mm-hmm. but not even make their own bed. What, what can you say? I mean, it's crazy. So, what's your plan to continue to have your this great drive you have? Like, you think you you always have it, or is there things you do like? Like I won't say mind tricks, like mental things you do to make sure you have this drive all the time. I don't think I have a great drive. I, I do appreciate that though. Um, but that's why I do things like seventy five heart. Mm-hmm. I do at least twice a year. Um, if, if whoever doesn't know it, it's a program. It's a mental toughness program. It's not a it's not a fitness challenge. It's um so you work out twice a day. Uh, one has to be outside. Both have to be at least forty five minutes. You have to drink a gallon of water. No alcohol. Progress picture and read ten pages of a nonfiction book. Um, and you do it for 75 days and it gets you mentally sharp in, in short. And I always look for stuff like that um, um, combined with like the type of books that I read to make sure I'm just mentally firing on all cylinders. Cause I don't I don't think I'm mentally tough at all. I, I think I constantly need to work on it actually. I think I'm mentally soft. So if, you, if you're mentally soft, good Lord how mentally soft the rest of other people are. There are words that I don't <laughs> want to even want to say over the, over, over the air, but um, no, most people are soft, in my opinion. Yeah, they are. In my opinion, I think I'm just less soft than the average person. So how do you how do you manage this, right? Because you're an entrepreneur, business owner. You know, you got to do your networking, get your word out there. Then you got to also focus on your company. How do you like? I think a lot of people like network too much, or they focus on the company too much. You know, how do you make sure you have a good balance of doing both of them? That's a really good question because it's it's something that I constantly try to like figure out. I now only do like networking that I think is like ultra critical. Also, by the way, if you're hiring right, if, if you're recruiting right, rather, that is a form of networking because you what you're what you're bringing on is their network of people. And that gives you access to whoever they have access to if you're doing it right. Um, but as far as me showing up at one, it has to be like a, a serious one. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I'm going to be at one with um, with with a lot of family offices. Needless to say, that's that's, you know, that's yeah, one that's, that, that's big time for you. Yeah. Um, the last one before that was like three weeks ago, I think. I can remember um, it was with family offices and a lot of VCs. Um, so like, that's something that 
I'm gonna be present for. But like the the run of the mill 10x ones or the you know those kind of slimy real estate stuff uh, or like you know I I just don't have time for it to be honest with you. It's, it's I actually lose money by going to stuff like that because that's time that I could have been working on something that's actually you know a profit center for the for the for the firm. Um, but no, it, it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to work on. I try to do at least at least one or two a month, at least of some form. Mm-hmm. But um, if I'm doing my job well within the company, that is a form of networking. Um, but you have to know how to leverage other people. And, you know, but I want to give all the good stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. But that is a thing, though. So what, next- do, what do you do? Because uh, you know everybody. I mean, yeah. I should be asking you. You're the networker. So yeah, I mean it's weird. Like I would like I was telling someone one time, like I'm the type of person like I would like to go to like a like a networking event or go to Starbucks and just observe people, right? Like yeah. I, I, I don't have to talk to anyone, right? Like I went to a networking event last night. But I'll go with any networking event and just meet three new people, right? And once I have three people, sometimes I leave, sometimes I stay around, you know. But yeah, but it's it's a hard balance, right? I think definitely people can get you can become a networker, entrepreneur, so to speak, right? And never build anything. <laughs> And you definitely got to go a bit with stuff that that you can add value to, and it can add value to. Yes, it makes any sense, right? That's why I, I um, when I first started, I, I would do, I would go. I mean, this is how I got started. I literally went to um, meet up and would just. I, I still, I still got some time going to meet up, just punching startup or like something I'm interested in doing. But I would do things three to five times a week. Yeah, I would just fill it up mm-hmm. and just shake as many hands, follow mm-hmm. up with coffee. Just, just, just hustling. I mean, that's yeah. how it started. But I just don't have the time for it anymore. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just don't have it. It. I don't even have the time. Really, a lot of times, like to even take certain calls. Mm-hmm. Even I just don't. Because <laughs> what I'm learning is that even talking about things that's not conducive to what it is that you're actually focused on, it you lose money doing that. You you lose money doing that because it's less time. It's literally less time spent working and or it just takes your focus off. Now you need to learn how to control your focus. You learn how to snap back, which is a thing. These are real tactics, by the way. You have to learn how to do that because you can have a conversation. Childhood friend call you about some stupid, you know, oh, did you hear some gossip? Did you hear about X, Y? You're like, oh, really? You know, you get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard not to get caught up in it if if it's good enough. Then you get off. 30 minutes later, right? Because, you know, you're going to talk for 30 minutes. So you lost 30 minutes. Then you're going to lose another 30 minutes because you're like, damn, that really, you know, Bobby really did that back back in the old hood, you know? <laughs> and it's just time out of your day. It, it, it's uh, it's not conducive to what you actually want to do. Um, yeah, so I talk about this with my team a lot. You, We have to learn how to control our focus. You, you have to learn how to control your focus. I know that sounds like thematic or like, kind of fluffy in the air, but it's a real thing. You got to learn how to control your focus because uh, it, it can be tough. On average, how many hours of sleep you get a day? Uh, at most six. Six, okay. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I, I work best half seven. Okay. Like, what was funny, like, if I get three hours of sleep or like, I, I'm actually worse off getting more sleep than less sleep hmm. for some reason. Like, wait, like, suppose I sleep 10 hours, I, I'm like groggy, I'm done the rest of the day. I, I can go like maybe a week on like four or five hours of sleep. But optimally, I'd eat seven. That's my, my sweet spot. So okay, yeah. I don't. I don't think I've ever slept seven hours outside of times I've been really sick. Yeah, I can't sleep long. It's hard for me to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to stay asleep. Is that because your mind never shuts off? I think so. Yeah, 
I have yeah. the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's just difficult for me. It's um, it's always been that way. So um, there's a term you know ABC always be closing. But also believe in the term ABR always be recruiting, right? So how do you like once again manage like between always closing your sales stuff and also be recruiting at the same time? I don't um I don't work as closely on the deals anymore. Uh, so you can focus more on recruiting then and bringing top the top talent in. Yes, okay. that and uh, making sure that everything is is operating efficiently. We're going in the right direction, uh, and that the culture is being instilled uh, throughout throughout the entire firm. I, um, no, listen, you know, why do why do I recruit people so that they could so I can so they can do the deal? So it's my job is make sure they got the resources, they got the direction of coaching them up, answering their questions so they can actually do it. Because the more time, I sp- it sounds weird, but the more time I spend actually doing deals, the less successful the firm is going to be. Because it's time, yeah, you know, yes. the, the same reason for everything else, even even for actually doing the deals. If I'm doing the deals, then that's I'm only one person. If, if we want to be a billion-dollar company, I can't be doing all the deals. No. I can be touching on them though, like from high level. I, I I'll do the intro if it's a big enough client. I got the onboarding. Mm-hmm. I got it. You know, because I would say that I'm good with getting clients. I, I, I can I can do that part. But then once it, once once they're in our, our our firm and we're working on it together, um, someone in the company will be we directly uh, facilitating it, making sure that all their needs are being met. What kind of self training or any kind of self items do you do do you for your people? Like, how does that work for you? None whatsoever. Okay. No. 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 We'll do any of that. Okay. Um, I guess every company is a sales company to a certain degree, but I want, so one of the things that makes us different is the fact that we're not salesy. In fact, most of the times we'll tell a client, you probably shouldn't get this. Mm-hmm. Like you probably, you probably shouldn't work with us. You probably should try to make it work. We can, we can probably consult maybe, but like you probably shouldn't go this route. Um, Cause we really want to be their embedded advisors. We want to be their best friends. We want to be the call you make to show up to your wedding. Um, if you, I mean, you'd be surprised at things that I talk about or have had to talk about with clients that had nothing to do with the actual deal or their business even. So do your clients, do they have like 24-7 access to you and your salespeople or do you have like a limit? Like, no, don't contact at these time periods or how does that work with you? We have unreasonable limits. So like, it's, it's yes, it's 24 mm-hmm. if need be. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to respect our our bankers and their families and mm-hmm. stuff. But like, I know for me personally, I mean, I'm just on call. Mm-hmm. Even a few weeks back, at a client that was having a lot of anxiety about his business, he called on a Friday. I was with another client. I was like, he called at like eight too. He he was in um in Linwood. I was in Seattle at the time, not far from here. So all right. I'm gonna finish up this dinner. I'm gonna come see you. I didn't get home that night. It's about two o'clock in the morning. And sometimes it just, that's just part of the job. Um, and that's just what it is. That's what makes us different though. Willing to 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 be their best friend when they don't have one. And um, good luck finding that elsewhere. Cause I can tell you right now, most most places, they wouldn't have answered the call cause it's eight o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. And then if they did, can just wait till Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I think that's reasonable. We're just unreasonable in how we want to serve mm-hmm. our clients. Do you think you'll be able to keep that mentality even when you become a billion dollar company? 100%. That's how, that's how you get there, yeah. in my opinion. Um, 
is it going to be like straightforward and easy? Of course not. But that's what makes us different, though. Um, it, most people just not again just not willing to do that. That's 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 where the sweet spot is. That's where that's where the room is. That's how you make. That's how you make it. That, that's a that's a um, that's solving a problem. You know, um, that's the problem that we're solving. Being their best friend. Okay. So this is a new question I started asking people recently. Uh-oh. So, so you you have people you have mentors, correct? Correct. Yeah. Who are you mentoring? Um, I don't think I don't want to say their names, okay. but um, three separate guys. Okay. Three separate guys. And, uh, what ways are mentoring? Like like sports athletes, finance people, or just general mentoring? Um, one uh one one athlete, one finance. Actually, one athlete, one finance, and one that's uh kind of <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> and, and did these people reach out to you or you found them or how did this metric they, they start? reached out. They reached okay. out. Like how did they know who you were? Like how did it one I've, I've known since high school. Okay. Well, pretty much since high school. One I met um at a political event mm-hmm. and the other one DM me. Just DM me. Okay. And um because I, I talk to people. I, I I know people think like I'm, I am busy, but like people think that people be intimidated to talk to me. I don't know why. But I'll talk to anybody. Like I talk to people in the store every day. I make a I make it a point to do that. Um, but no, when people reach out, I always respond. Always. Yeah. So these mentorship relationship, what what's what's your goal for that? Like to begin making a certain level of success or like how's that what's success for you for these relationships? It's all relative to what they do, what's success for them. Because mm-hmm. I can't tell them, hey, you need to go to Olympics, retire in your twenties, and then try to build a billion dollar company. I, I would never tell that's you know that's unrealistic. So it depends on what where you have to meet people that mm-hmm. and they're they're all younger than me. So it's like, what is it you're trying to do? Or maybe that's it. Maybe you need help trying to figure out what it is you're yeah. trying to do. That could be it in and of itself. But if they're already past that part, and they never are, because you know they they're like 21, 22, yeah. You don't know what you want. You think you do, but you don't know. And they you meet with them like once a month or whenever they call you, you meet with them. How's that schedule for you? Definitely can't be whenever they call. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you, it, it can't okay. be that. But um, um, once once a week, other two once a month. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah. So it has to be relative to whatever it is that they're trying to do. And, and, and you know, my job is just like, hey, I've been there. I, I have an idea of what you're going through. You need to do X, Y, Z. You need to, and I'll know you did it because you'll be able to get X result. Let's check in next time. I'll check the progress on how close you've gotten to that. And that's okay. it. I'm, I'm not the parent. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging them. It's it's not that. You know, I'm not, it's not that. It's just, hey, you need a sounding board. I've been through it. Th- this is how I did it. This is what I think you should do. What do you think? Okay, well, let's try that. And we need to achieve this result. Um, next time we talk, we'll see where you're at. And is three like your limit for mentoring people? No, I'll take one more. Okay. Uh, what What is your limit, you think? To be honest with you, ideally, like over 50, and I'll talk to them all at the same time. Okay. So then that way I can just focus on macro themes. Okay. Because what they don't realize is that if you got the good macro themes, that's mm-hmm. all you need. Okay. That's, that's all you need. That's that's really all you need. If you just focus on the big picture stuff, that's, that's where culture gets instilled. Mm-hmm. I think that's all you need. Like, would you, most people will feel weird saying Gary Vee is their mentor. But he's a mentor to a lot of people. I mean, yeah. a lot of people, I mean, some people admit it, you know, some people don't, but yeah, he's. Exactly. If you watch his daily Vs, mm-hmm. 
especially from like back in the day. Oh yeah, that's a, that's just like golden shit. Like the first hundred episodes specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you need anything else? I mean, you can just watch it. It's yeah. in vlog format. I know yeah. y'all like to watch vlogs. Yeah. Don't say you don't. You know, and and he talks the walk. He walked the walk. You know, like yeah, that, you can listen to his meetings. You can. I mean, he talked to the camera. That's everything you need to know. Yeah. You can, in fact, you can make a business off of watching his first hundred uh, daily views. Mm-hmm. Uh, regurgitating stuff that he said up there yeah. and just, you know, repackage it to to younger people. Mm-hmm. You can make a business out of that alone. That's how good it is. Yeah. And um, that's a form of mentorship. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I know people, they're not going to look at it that way. They still want, you know, something that they think is specific to them yeah. just so they can not do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's just kind of, but, you know, it's, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. So next, real quickly, let's, let's talk about tattoos. Yeah. So how many tattoos do you have? Uh, about 20. 20, okay. Is one tattoo that's like like really meaningful to you? Like Yes, the my hand one the, um with the the line cuz I okay. got this at uh at 21. Okay. Cuz I never wanted I wanted to be unemployable. So for the camera there so you can see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I got that one at 21 cuz I wanted to be unemployable. Okay. And, um it's so, so one more time. I I I got the hand tattoo at 21 okay. cuz I wanted to be unemployable. Okay. Um, it was it was just a big bet on, on myself. I would recommend no one to do that. Yeah, I remember back in the day, like you know, I was just say only reason you get you still get a, like a, a neck tattoo, a hand tattoo, if you're Alan Iverson or like a little Wayne, right? Yeah. But now it's like become more common, so to speak. You know, so yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't do that still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be able to pull that off in in, in my line of work. Yeah. The hand mm-hmm. is really pushing it. Yeah. It's like really really pushing it, but. I, I I overcompensate with that with um with with how I dress in general. Yeah. Um. Or, I, or just do the line and turn over the Olympic rings and you know like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's that. If too. you criticize it, you know what's about this one. You know, sometimes I wish I didn't do the Olympic rings because yeah. um I get stopped a lot for it, and I don't think people should put me on a pedestal because of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I just don't think so. I mean, like you said, you're one of the one percent. You know, your tea is something like most people can't even dream of the hard yeah, work commitment. You know, it's athletics, though. I just. Uh, um, maybe maybe because I, I come from it, so I look yeah. at it differently. But mm-hmm. I just don't put it. I just don't value it the same way other people do. I just, yeah. I like, just don't. like I told you before, jokingly, if I was you, I put that would be tattooed on my forehead. Jokingly, right? Yeah, yeah, but you don't, you don't be that guy. But also, yeah, yeah. Keep in mind that I would argue that what what I'm attempting to do right now is much bigger than anything mm-hmm. um, athletic related yeah. at all. So I just don't. If I if if I was not to, I I know. I know coaches and I have peers who have ran and then went to be coaches, mm-hmm. but you know, let's just, let's just be honest. All right. Yeah. If I ran track and then wanted to be a coach, this would be a different conversation because mm-hmm. my bet, my, my better days are behind me. Yeah. That's just, it's just a fact. Right. But I don't think that's me. That's yeah. not me. Um, it's, I'm, I just want to up the game that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. I want a bigger game. And because I just, I just don't put too much, yeah. too much weight on it. Um, but the one, so the hand tattoo is the is the one that um, I would say I'm most proud of. But the one that I like the most is my back tattoo because I have a wolf. Okay, a wolf howling at the moon. So the wolf, that's the animal, like the, that's the spirit animal or something. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I never, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I never thought about that. Probably, mm-hmm. probably. But then you have the lion too, so maybe the lion's a spirit animal. Any animal or mammal that has passion, it just the same way that classical art I just have a propensity, you know, towards 
it's the same for that, in my opinion. So are your parents done with tattoos or you have some more planned down the road? I'll probably get more, but I haven't thought about it. Okay. I haven't thought about it in a while. Um, damn. That's a good question. I haven't, I haven't thought about that in yeah. a while. Um, I don't know. Mm. I actually don't know. Okay. Probably though. Yeah. Probably. Can, can you tell us what the, what's the biggest deal of y'all close so far? I can see the range. Okay, the range, yeah. Between between twenty and, and, and forty. Okay. So and what's the smallest deal you closed? Oh. In the range. I no, I can just tell you the smallest one. Uh it's like Ralph I think it was five hundred five hundred thousand. So is a work in the process in those two varying deals is, is it the same but it's like a whole lot more time and commitment and stuff related to bigger the deal is? It's generally about the same, um, but don't get me wrong. With, with the bigger numbers, you have to like. I guess more hand holding, way more customer service. I'm guessing and like. There, there's that kind of stuff, but like you have to wear a nicer suit. You have to be more professional, right to the point. You, you have to handle it with more care. Mm -hmm. But like, there isn't more paperwork involved. No, nah, it's just it's the same due diligence. But um, they need to trust you more because a. Um, a thirty million dollar fuck up, different than a five hundred thousand dollar one. You know, it's just different. There's just different players involved. Um, but no, I mean due diligence though is about the same though. Surprisingly enough. So where your company's at right now financially, everything I've gone on, is there a deal that you would like, man, that you'd be scared to take on? <laughs> yes. Well, really no, but. There's been a deal that we landed recently. Jason, I'm telling you, it is so far out there and I can't I can't speak to it, but like it's it's out there, the number. And um I was kind of ambivalent because I'm like, this is what I I've, I've written down. I wanted to play in this game. But then once you're in the game, it's like running track. You want to be a professional all your life, all your life. This is what you want to do. Okay. My junior year, my first professional meet was in Jamaica. I'm looking around, you know, I'm seeing some names that I have studied their races since high school. And it's like, you, you wanted this. Now you're here, you know, um, what are you going to do? And I found myself in that position recently with this because, you know, it's uh sometimes it can be so big that it's scary. But I, I love being scared. Uh, I I just like I'm, I'm a thrill seeker. I, I like that kind of stuff. So, Byron, is there anything that we have not talked about yet or any questions I have not asked you yet that you want to talk about? Um, No, but I do have a question. What okay. do you want to ask that's kind of like out there that you think is pushing the limits? What do you mean? Like. Anything you think that I'll be embarrassed to, to answer? Oh, um, man, um, your um, the range of your annual income. <laughs> yeah, I'm not answering that. Okay, <laughs> but but that's not because of embarrassment. Yeah. I just it it would make professional sense for me to do that. Yeah, um, I do okay though. Okay, especially for my age. Yeah, let me think what else. Um, okay, here's one. What's a go? that you thought you should have met by now, but you haven't? 
Okay, as a kid, any anything. As a kid, I definitely thought I would be married with kids by now. Mm. I definitely thought that. But as a kid, I you know you you kind of you look at you look at all ages differently. You look at thirty like it's stone ages. Mm. You look at forty like you're retired. Twenty, you know, as in like you're an adult and you're in the world doing stuff. You know, and you know. But yeah, I, de- I definitely thought I'd be married with kids by now. Um, I'll say this though, and I never talk about my love life ever, but I will say this though, that um, everything has worked out the way it was supposed to, like everything down to it to the point where I'm going to stop even like taking stabs at what's supposed to happen. I'm going to just have my plan. I know what I want. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to see what happens. And I'm going to change with whatever is in front of me. But um, yeah, man, it, I definitely thought I'd be married with kids by now, um, especially when I was a kid, 100%. Let's talk about this. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the more successful you're going to get, the more people will be like out of your, 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 like your market, so to speak, right? Like example, if you're like a, a vice president of Amazon, you're probably not going to ask a, a lady, a Waffle House waitress for a date, right? I would. I, I would, personally. But we, well, would you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause so your market is still 100% completely open then? Yeah, okay. yeah. No, I, I, um, don't get me wrong. I don't expect the roles. I don't, I don't expect to be the same. The roles are reversed. Mm-hmm. You know, if she was that Amazon exec and I worked at Waffle House, mm-hmm. she she's not going to give it. She's not going to even look twice at me. Mm-hmm. I'm handsome, but I ain't that handsome. Uh, um, if all I care about is being with a good supportive person, mm-hmm. uh, a Christian, someone who's family oriented, um, um, that has an interesting look at the world, mm-hmm. um, and was really supportive in what I am attempting to do for our family. That's, that's it. It's someone I can trust that. I mean, I say that's it, but th- yeah. those are big things though, but I don't, um, I don't care about career or, okay. Any of the stuff, actually, I don't. I got the career part. Like, listen, I, I'm already, I'm all careered out. Mm. You know, I, <laughs> that career stuff, it already occupies my mind. Yeah. I need someone I can trust in that we're on the same page with. And if and if she's a good person, a genuine person, a caring person, a warm person, um, and worked at Waffle House, cool. Let's do it. Man, I'm saying that how often you go to Waffle House though. Well, there's no Waffle Houses out here. Oh, yeah, you're right. I always forget that, yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to say Denny's. Denny's. I'm a, I'm a Waffle House guy. Okay. All right. I was in I was in um, Texas a month ago. Definitely made my way to a Waffle House. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love the chocolate, the chocolate waffles. I double it up with uh, scrambled eggs with cheese, and I, I put the whole syrup thing on top. Here's a funny story for you. So me and my family just came from Italy, but I was in the Army, right? So we were staying in my brother-in-law's house in Dallas, right? My grandparents, Texas, right? And I'm um, like, two kids at the time, they want to get some breakfast, right? And so Waffle House, like, maybe a mile down the road, right? So we go to Waffle House. They ordered, like, like the breakfast they had, like, family eggs, whatever. Mm. And my daughter was like, can I get a piece of cheese? I'm like, don't ask the lady for a piece of cheese. Ask the waiter for a piece of cheese. This joker bought, like, a crafting of the plastic eight hand of my daughter. Yeah, yeah, that's Waffle House. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my kid looked at me like, what in the fuck is this? I'm surprised she didn't bring back like a piece of paper with the word cheese written on it. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. That's no, that's Waffle House. And she probably slammed it down with an attitude. Like he did. Yeah, yeah. He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's Waffle House. But I've been a Waffle House since then. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, so I haven't been in a while mm-hmm. prior to when I just went, uh, because I've been out here. And um 
I definitely noticed that the prices are different now at Waffle House. Yeah. I'm like, damn, this is Waffle House is like, it became cool now. I remember when it wasn't cool. I remember when uh, the, the Jackson or Jaguars quarterback won the playoff game. He went to the Waffle House like two in the morning. I thought that was pretty cool. You think so? Yeah, and you think about it, you're talking about you know, people that make money off Gary V's first hundred videos. Mm-hmm. You can make make money just videotaping your local Waffle House and posting on you know social media probably. Let's. I've I've done my fair share of uh, of like in Austin, like Sixth Street, mm-hmm. um, and then Waffle House in uh, in Riverside around two o'clock in the morning, and um, you are guaranteed to see something interesting there. Yeah, it without fail. It doesn't like the waitress there. They deserve like some kind of combat pay or something, you know, like. Combat. like <laughs> <laughs> they do serve, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's it's not. It's it's crazy at Waffle House, especially at night. It's like Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's another topic, exactly. Um, so anything else you want to talk about? They haven't covered. Um, now we good. Actually, I'm surprised we 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 um. It may not be surprising to you. I'm surprised we actually talked about track as much as we did. It's uh, I haven't I haven't, I haven't really talked about track like, yeah. since since I retired. I never made an announcement or anything. Yeah. I'm making an announcement of, of retiring from track soon. Okay. Now that I think, because I never even did it. Yeah. I just stopped running. I stopped running, went deeper into investment banking, didn't mm-hmm. even look, look twice at it. Um, but because of this and us talking about it, I'm going to make a retirement announcement okay. of track. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Is there anything that I can ask you? Um, You're the man. Uh, you, but let's get it. I want to get a few things out the way. I'm not successful. First and foremost, um, I'm just not. Um, you're the man at this table right now. Like you, you're actually the cool one. You're the well connected one. You're the you know. You know this though. You know this though. I mean, example by all of your guests. Um, Thank you. It's a, yeah. It's it's an honor to sit across the table from you though. I appreciate this, but uh, I'm definitely not the cool one at this table right now <laughs> for sure. No, I, I mean that though. Cool. Um, can you give us any advice on anything you want to talk about? Any advice? Yeah. Um, listen, it's hard to give advice because I never know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am trying to figure things out in real time. But if I was to give advice, I would tell someone, especially younger, because I have to focus on people younger than me. Uh, I see that's where the most growth is. People older than me already think they got everything figured out. And it's like, all right. Actually, younger people do too, but whatever. Um, just double down on something and don't give up. It, that sounds basic, right? But it's not because you hear this rah-rah stuff and, not, and I'm a big rah-rah guy. Let's get it. I, you know, all right, I, I just want to be fair about that. I'm a, I'm a rah-rah guy. I'm rah-rah my team, people that I talk to. I'm, I'm a motivational guy. That's what I do. But you need to really double down on what it is, whoever it is. You need to double down on what it is you want to do it and not give up. What does that look like? It means not going out you know, when everyone else is doing the cool thing, it's not, it's, it's avoiding certain topics. And this is very easy to, to lean into. It's easy to talk about bullshit. It's just easy. It's very easy. It's, it's avoiding certain topics, there's, uh, avoiding certain foods, you know, like just really getting serious about what it is that, that you want to do. Most people aren't. Most people talk hard. They do the new year's resolution. They work out for a week, give it up, you know, drop the diet. Um, hit the bottle hard, you know, Netflix it up, gossip with the bros. Um, what's the latest song? You know, the bullshit. 
the bullshit. They, they're doing the thing. Uh, and Teresa Horowitz had to call it the thing with a capital with a capital T, the thing, right? Avoid all of that. Again, just to, to younger people, avoid all of that and just, just get busy. Get off Instagram, delete the app, get busy. Don't even look at what I'm doing. I'm showing you stuff after the fact. Don't look at me thinking you you getting like ideas of what my moves are. I'm showing you old stuff. All right. Don't don't track my moves. All right. Get busy. Start doing stuff. Like stop overthinking it. Stop reading the success stuff, the the memes and the the billionaire pages. And I get it because I love ball and shit too. I love it. Jason, I was at a Porsche dealership today. All right. I ain't buying anything, but I'm just looking. You know, I'm just looking around. All right. I like being around it in Bellevue. I like it. I get it. But to younger people, don't even worry about that. Just if you have to sleep on the couch, you know, get open up your book, write down your notes, write down your plan, pen to paper. That's the best advice I ever got, by the way, to write down my goals. On a pen and paper with a five-year plan. You know, um, you, you hit up your five-year plan, write down your goals, come up with a plan of action, do your five critical tasks, you know, work out, stop gossiping, fix the diet up, get serious. It, this is, we in it now. We're in, we're in the game now. It's, things are happening. Banks are failing. Things are happening now. People need to start getting busy. They need to stop gossiping. You need to get out of the, uh, the minutia of like life. Um, stop chasing the girl, you know, stop arguing, stop the ego fights with your boys, stop all of it, stop scrolling, get busy. Um, and everything will work out in my opinion. And, um, if, if, if there's anyone, um, that's listening to this, that's younger than me or older, whatever, I don't have everything figured out. But if there's anything you think that I know, um, I would I would press upon them to please just reach out because I'll talk to anybody. Doesn't mean I'm always available, but w- whenever I can, I, I do respond because there need to be more people that is that, that are getting busy. Not enough people are busy. Our people are just wasting time, bullshitting. Get busy. Uh, uh, double down. Get serious. We're in the game now. Things are happening. Uh, and just buckle up. Byron, speaking of social media, can you give your show your social media so people can reach out yeah. to you? All my social medias are the real B swag with two G's. All of it. By the way, I had a marketing company that tried to suggest I change my name. I'm like, why the fuck would I change my name? This is my name. Like, th- this is what makes me me. I'm, I'm the real B swag. All right. It's, it's, you can't take my sauce. That's like decapitating me. What, what is that? But everything is the real B swag with two G's. Nice. So, Byron, thanks for doing this with me today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. Pleasure, Alma. And to our listeners, thanks for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up.